1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: I don't fear much. That's the God's honest truth. I-, I walk around some pretty rough neighborhoods. I don't worry about getting... Jumped or assaulted. I don't even really fear death or anything like that. I mean, if you give me a choice of being alive or being dead, I will obviously choose being alive. But I don't spend my days paralyzed by fear of much. There's one thing, though, that I do lie awake at night or, for me, lie awake during the day thinking about. And that is fear of dementia. I so value my memory and the things that I can do with my memory. I I take great pride in the fact that I have a a pretty good memory and I having this incredible bank of memories in my brain gives me essentially a limitless supply of entertainment because when I'm by myself, I can just sit back and turn to X, Y, Z moment in my life that I've experienced and replay that moment over and over again. I absolutely love it. And it also gives me a limitless supply of stories to tell, both on the radio and in real life. Not that not that radio isn't real life, but when I'm not on the radio, on air and off air is what I meant to say. So I have been obsessed with the issue of dementia for a long, long time. And unfortunately, it's getting worse in this country. There are 6.5 million Americans living with Alzheimer's today. As the baby boomers all age, that number is expected to rise to 12.7 million by the year 2050, unless there's some breakthrough preventative treatment or cure for this disease. Now, what if we could train our brains ...to keep dementia at bay. Well, now, a new U.S. research study is trying to find a viable way to do that. So uh, those numbers, by the way, that I just cited you are from the Alzheimer's Association. So what's happening now is there's a first-of-its-kind trial. Researchers are digging into whether eating right exercising the body and exercising the brain can stave off Alzheimer's, which is the most common form of dementia. That's according to the Boston Globe. So what they're doing here, and I applaud them, and I think this is great, and I am watching this very closely. They're recruiting those between the ages of 60 to 79 and dividing them into two groups. One group will get general guidance on eating and living well, and the other will get specific guidance food tips like the Mediterranean diet and the workouts for the mind and the body. So the goal here is to track whether measures like training your brain can really reduce the risk of developing dementia. So the key part of the study is exercising the brain. Now, here are some ways that you can train your brain according to the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. One is play. And we're going to get back to this in just a minute. There are endless games that you use your mind, such as crossword puzzles, Sudoku, chess, and checkers. The study detailed above, excuse me, the study detailed um, in brain training with Brain HQ, which has online games that work memory, speed attention, people skills, and navigation skills. So number one is play. Two is cross-train. Do things you aren't comfortable with. If you love to listen to talk radio or podcasts, read. If you struggle with hand-eye coordination, try throwing darts. Three is learn. Take up a new hobby or learn a new language. I am curious. Now, we're going to see what this study produces in terms of what this stuff actually does. I'm curious what you think the results are likely to show. Do you think these three tips from the Alzheimer's Society of Canada are likely to produce any concrete results? Or do you think this is the kind of thing where they tell people you should do this, you should do that, just so you feel like you're doing something in order to, uh, in order to stave off Alzheimer's? I think there's probably something to this, and I'll tell you why. There are so many older folks that I've known who are very, very sharp as long as they're working, and then as soon as they retire and they start leading a less active mental lifestyle all of a the sudden they 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 start being forgetful and it's not just um and it's not just stopping working because i know some retirees that are very active in retirement and then uh, some act uh, some retirees that don't do anything they sit around and watch television all day and the latter group i see as being much more prone to dementia what i didn't see in this boston globe article and i wish was included here is the issue of hearing you know i got to work with bob grant a great deal before he retired and he had significant hearing loss and he became obsessed with studying hearing he would have me book interviews with him for audiologists And one of the things that one of the guests that he had on one time said is that you're so much more likely to suffer from dementia if you suffer from hearing loss. That's one of the other reasons that I'm very protective of my hearing. If, um, you know, the guys in the studio will tell you, I only keep one ear, one headphone on my ears to sort of minimize the concentrated sound that's pounding into my ear all the time. There are all sorts of habits that people have written about that might reduce the risk of dementia. We've heard meditation. We've heard coffee drinking. We've heard tea drinking. We've heard getting enough sleep. So we're gonna, I'm going to watch the results of this new study, but um, I'm curious if you think these healthy habits make a difference. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. In my research on this subject, I came across this op-ed that Tim Wu, who's a brilliant guy, He's a, an author. He's a professor. He's an expert on technology. He wrote in this op-ed in The New York Times about four years ago, a uh, headline in praise of mediocrity. The pursuit of excellence has infiltrated and corrupted the world of leisure. It was really interesting. In fact, even though it's a little dated, I'm going to link to it right now on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash moranofan. That's facebook.com slash morano fan, and you can uh, go ahead and read it there if you want. But uh, the, here's the top-line takeaway. So um, we think that once we start something, we have to achieve great things in that field. According to the research that Tim Wu has done in this article, it's not only okay, it's also good for us to do things Purely for ourselves. Now, it's no secret that all of us, especially in America, we value excellence. We value success. We value productivity in our pursuits. But doing hard things sharpens our minds, according to many, and our bodies, and it keeps us grounded. So Vox says that America's fixation with perfectionism is chipping away at our mental health. Think about that. According to this Vox piece, many of us don't pick up hobbies because we're afraid of being bad at them. So, um, Erica, um, Erica, who writes for Axios, Landley, I believe her name is. She writes in Axios that at the beginning of this year, she set a goal to run at least ten miles a week. Now, for anyone who runs with any regularity, that's not too an impressive too impressive a goal. But for her, someone who couldn't run a mile without stopping before the pandemic, it's a big one. She writes that she's not a naturally gifted athlete. The miles she runs are slow and steady, and uh, she's never going to be a champion runner. But sticking to her goal has vastly improved her mental and her physical health. More importantly, she writes, I'm much braver when it comes to challenging myself. There is a scientific case for this. Pushing ourselves to learn new skills, whether mental or physical, has been linked to reduced risk of dementia as we age. You know, I think this is one area where I could be doing more. I mean, I am trying to Im- improve my ping pong skills. I'm still basically at a beginning lev- beginner level in terms of ping pong. But I don't really I- – I am looking to try pickleball, which I haven't tried yet. But I don't really make a habit of trying new skills, learning new games, learning new sports or activities. And uh, I am, after doing a little bit of this research, reading this Vox piece, reading this Tim Wu piece, reading this Boston Globe piece, and reading the Axios coverage on this, I am going to make an effort to try and branch out a little bit more and get outside my comfort zone a bit. Um, So if you have thoughts about this, I can't tell you how obsessed I am with this issue. And I've always been interested in it. I've always been obsessed with it. I've always been curious about it. And then, maybe about seven or eight years ago, my uncle Carmine, who I was very close to, who was uh, my grandfather's brother, but I never knew my grandfather. I was named for my grandfather, Frank, and I never knew, uh, never knew him. He died before I was born. But his brother Carmine was really like my paternal grandfather. And uh, he and I were very close. He was the smartest person I knew, smartest person I ever met. Brilliant. You could ask him about sports. You could ask about politics. You could ask him about uh, the history. You could ask him about the old neighborhood. The guy knew everything. And sure enough, he uh, ultimately, as he got a little older, he came down with Parkinson's with Louis body. And towards the end of his life, he not only was incredibly forgetful as he dealt with dementia, But he was also so frustrated because he knew intellectually that he couldn't remember things. And it it was very, very difficult for for him to be that aware that he was kind of losing it. But also very difficult for my Aunt Camille uh, to have to be his caretaker as he went through all that. So if I could have one wish granted, it would be to live a long life and never suffer with dementia. So I'm always looking for tips In terms of that, and this piece of advice to try new things, even if you're not good at them, is pretty creative, I think. It's pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing the results that this Alzheimer's survey produces. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up on the show today. Very exciting show. We have three of my favorites uh, coming up in about 10 minutes. Tom Dreesen, comedian, storyteller, author, and the man who was Frank Sinatra's opening act for 14 years. I saw one person comment on Facebook. Well, tell Dreesen not to tell any more Sinatra stories. I got to tell you, if if you don't want to hear any Sinatra stories Turn off the radio and take a break. Go for a cup of coffee. Try another radio show because there is no way that I'm talking to Tom Dreesen and not asking him to share some Sinatra stories. So he's coming up uh, in about 10 minutes and he's performing in Atlantic City next month. I'm going to try and go see him. And then um, it's funny. All our guests are sort of interconnected somehow. Because uh, we're going to go live to Atlantic City in the third hour as part of our AC report. We'll talk with Councilman Jesse, Jesse Kurtz, the only Republican city councilman in Atlantic City. And then in the final hour of the program, we're going to we'll talk to a nationally syndicated radio talk show host and Fox News anchor Brian Kilmeade. He's performing August 27th the same day that Tom Dreesen is performing. He's performing in Newark. So there's no excuse to stay home on August 27th. And there's one other event in Brooklyn. So if you're in North Jersey... You got to go to newark if you're and see Brian Kilmeade. if you're in South Jersey, you have to go to Atlantic City and see Tom Dreesen. If you're in the city, you have to go to a location in Brooklyn that I'm going to tell you about a little later. It's an interesting, interesting day for some reason, everything seems to be converging on that particular day. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two that's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 Howard is in Elmhurst. Hello Howard.
3: Yeah, my wife has the beginning stages of dementia she was she was an art student all her life. she loved art. But she had spinal issues, and she landed up in a nursing home. Nursing homes are not good places when mm-hmm. you have dementia. They offer little, you know, little simulation. And uh, also, she had a hearing issue. It wasn't too big, and, but a friend of ours, his, her husband had it, and he recently died. He had dementia. Very serious. He had the ringing in the ears. So you could be right on that. And what? it's a little... Barry, but one thing that will—if you give a person plenty of love and you be there and you read to them, you do things—it helps make it work. Keep it keeps from making it
4: worse.
2: Yeah. No, I, I can imagine, and I imagine that was a difficult thing for you to go through uh, with your wife. Uh, wishing you both the best there, Howard. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe.
5: Yeah. Hi, Frank. I want to go. I want to mention a couple of supplements. But first, I want to say I was thinking about. I had never uh, studied chemistry, and it might have been good to look at it just as a brain tease at some point. You know, I never took a class in it. I took physics, uh, you know, anatomy and stuff like that. But take, for example, let's say your show is intellectual, all right, compared to Howard Stern. We'll just premise that, you know, for the sake of argument. It's better to for the brain to listen to you then if it's more challenging for the brain. So that's one thing. And then a couple of supplements, l Uh biocurcumin uh, generates new brain cells, neurogenesis. You know, it got the top supplement for uh, the brain last year. And uh, also acetyl-L-carnitine does more than any Alzheimer's drug, that they've ever come up with. Well, what's the those.
2: what's the sourcing for that, Joe? Because uh, that's a pretty bold claim.
5: Well, you could look on Google Scholar, not Google, just Google Scholar, and they have you could you could they have actual uh, medical research from all over the world.
2: And what and what is just, the name of it again? And I'm I'm not vouching for any of the claims you're making, but give me the name of that supplement again.
5: Okay, number one is biocurcumin it's from turmeric
2: uh-huh. you
5: know number two is l carnalcene yes,
2: I have taken that actually that's in uh yeah. some of the stuff that i that I already take i I do right. take a lot of a and lot of supplements. the
5: thing is acetyl a c e y t o and l carnitine and that's very good for the heart as well all right well thank you yeah thank you
2: joe by the way again, I can't stress. I don't know anything about the supplements that he just mentioned, right? Okay, so take them at your own risk. If you start taking all three of those supplements and then you come find me five years from now after taking them three three times a day, all three of them, and you say, hey, Frank, I can't remember anything except the fact that you told me to take these supplements and now here I have dementia. Don't blame me. Blame Joe. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Fred in Garfield, New Jersey. Hello, Fred.
6: Uh, good morning, Frank.
7: Morning. Uh, on Channel 13, there's a nutritionist, Dr. Amen. He takes a walnut and breaks it in half, and he asks you, what does it look like? And a walnut looks like your brain. And he says, that means it's good for your brain. It prevents dementia. Well, that's
2: ridiculous. There's a lot of things that look like your brain. Why do, everything that looks like your brain prevents dementia? I don't buy that.
7: Well, no, he says any other vegetable that looks like a different, let's say like a tripe, it looks like your intestines, so that's good for your stomach. <laughs> I don't that good for your a brain. Well, what about broccoli? Uh, maybe carrots are good for your penis. I don't know, but <laughs> it might be worth a shot.
2: Let's hope so. I like carrots. Well, what about broccoli? What does broccoli look like?
7: Uh, I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, so what does that mean? You're, you're going to not eat broccoli when we know broccoli is good for you? Al is here in Manhattan. Hello, Al.
8: Good morning, Mr. Morano. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Listen, I worry about you and Curtis. Curtis especially because he's under tremendous stress. He wants to be always broadcasting. And he's doing it. But he's shortchanging his brain. And you're shortchanging your brain. You know, because the body thrives on sleep. And it wants it when? At nighttime. So you're doing a great job now. But remember... The facts are the facts, and sometimes you can't face and fight Mother Nature unless, unless you try to take steps. So you know what's coming down the pike, possibly. Avoid it in every way. Doing what you're doing, having guests on like that you are, are excellent. Keep memories of all your journals so later on, God forbid, 40 years from now, we go fast forward, your caregivers will know what music you enjoy, what pictures that they were to show you. Hey, that's my name, Camille on the egg salad. All these things, that's me and AC rolling for an hour, okay? These things are important. And what that guy was saying about the walnut, ironically, is very true. Walnut's extremely good for Alzheimer's. Mediterranean diet, exercise. You right, right-handed with your board, right with your left Well, yeah, I know you've mentioned
2: right. that before as well, Al. And, and I don't dispute that, but that's why I'm eager to see what this actual study produces in terms of results, in terms of trying different skills, different foods, different diets, you know, I am somebody that has thought that this whole obsession with the Mediterranean diet might have been a little exaggerated. But, look, if it's good for your brain, if it works in this study, uh, we're going to get into that, right? We'll we'll take a look, and we're going to keep an eye on this. But I'd love to hear your thoughts in the interim. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Tony is in New Jersey. Hello, Tony.
9: How you doing, Frank? Uh... I like to bring up my father who passed away at at 98 years of age. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and uh, let me tell you something. He was something else. We would be shoveling snow. He'd be 97. He'd be shoveling snow with me and and doing his driveway. And I'd go in the house when we finished the driveway, make coffee. I'd look out the window, and he's doing the neighbor's yard. He's shoveling their yard. He used to cut the grass in the summertime. His yard, the backyard, uh, the neighbor's yard, oh, he was terrific. And the best best thing he did, he would uh, go to OTB, and he would study the uh, sheets at OTB with the horses, and he was wide awake. Well, no uh,
2: yeah, Tony, if if gambling uh, staves off dementia, then that is not something that I need to be worrying about anymore. But I'll tell you, my uncle Carmine was a horse player too. He still developed Parkinson's. So, I'm hesitant to draw too many conclusions based on one example, even if it does look like uh, the 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 spending time at OTB produced that kind of result. You understand what I'm saying? That's why if there's a larger study involving a control group and involving a group that's given specific instructions, then I feel like uh, I'm a little bit more willing to, you know, I'm a little bit more willing to trust that kind of a thing. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Chris in Vermont. Hello, Chris.
10: Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. This is Frank? I think so. Yes. Hello, Frank.
2: Yes. Hello, Chris.
10: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I've been listening to this. It's very interesting because Thank you. I'm 72 now, and um, one of my things is I I watch all these old uh, reruns of westerns, and I try to name everybody all these uh, bit players in the westerns. and and make sure that I know every one of them every time I see them. Plus, I read. I read a great deal. I think that's important, Um, reading books.
2: Well, I would certainly agree, uh, Chris, and I appreciate you listening. I don't know that the way this phone call began, Chris, about you not being sure I was talking to you and you not being sure that you were talking to me is necessarily an endorsement of watching Westerns and reading, to be honest, though, in terms of mental acuity. 800-848-9222. Roller is in New Jersey. Hello, Roller
6: frank you don't drink that tea no more i don't hear you talking about get the tea i uh, do not-
2: i do but uh they're not currently advertising so uh i don't uh, i don't want to give them a free commercial but i do drink it
6: still all right but the question i want to ask is uh Atlantic City, can you do a little more talk on Atlantic City and the gambling aspect? I mean, we can maybe do an hour one night. And also, is this recession? I can't get to the crap table. I go to the crap table. It, it's crowded. Is it because of the recession? Everybody's taking a Social Security check, trying to scratch the money out. What, what do you think? What I, I, I don't table?
2: think so. I, and thank you for the call. I think the—I've uh, noticed the same thing, too. I think it's a function of them having fewer craps dealers. And having fewer craps tables open, especially on the weekend. I think it's as simple as that. There are fewer people working as dealers. Uh, these casinos have made a concerted strategic decision to focus on electronic gambling, on slot machines, and on um, you know remote gambling, which is another form of electronic gambling. And I think that's a lot of what you're seeing here. and I think they're investing in that in marketing that, in staffing that, and they can make more money with that than with the table games. And there's fewer tables open, fewer crap dealers uh, playing. That's my perspective, at least in, uh, on the East Coast. But uh, we'll see. 800-848-9222. Speaking of Atlantic City, Tom Dreesen is going to be performing there August 27th. This is a show you're not going to want to miss. We're going to tell you a little bit about it and uh, get him to share some Frank Sinatra stories in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'll tell you, um, I get a lot of complaints whenever I have our next guest on, and it's not because he's not interesting. Precisely the opposite. Uh, Whenever I talk to Tom Dreesen, the thing that I can count on is a series of emails, social media comments, text messages, and so forth, all saying the same thing. I can't believe you didn't have him on for a longer interview. Tom Dreesen is not only a legendary stand-up comic, not only an author of a couple of books, including the more recent memoir, Still Standing, but he happens to have been Frank Sinatra's opening act for 14 years, and he's just one of the best storytellers and most interesting people, most entertaining people that I've ever had the privilege of uh, talking to on the radio. But it's a real challenge in talking with Tom Dreesen because he has so many great stories, over 40 years in show business, but he also has a lot of interesting comments about what he's doing now. So you always want him to tell stories about yesterday, but you also want to hear him talk to you about what he's doing now and tomorrow. So we're going to do our best to thread the needle and walk that delicate tightrope. Tom Dreesen, thanks so much for joining me on the radio again.
11: Frank, it's good to be on your show again. Uh One correction. I've had over 50 years in show business. Oh,
2: what did I say? 40? I didn't mean to shortchange 40. you. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, so um, a lot of the stories that I've asked you about have to do with the 14 years that you spent as uh, Frank Sinatra's opening act. I'm curious. How do you feel about being the guy, about being so often asked about Sinatra, being asked to do live shows about Sinatra? Does it ever get... Because you've done so many things beyond those 14 years and so many things that have nothing to do with Sinatra. Does it ever get tiresome for you to have all these people like me ask you all about these Sinatra stories when you've done so much more than that?
11: Well, you know, no, it doesn't, because I accepted this fact, you know, many years ago. The way somebody would do a sitcom, say, for 15 years or 20 years or a series, and no matter what they do after or what they did before – they're always asked about that, and I knew when I was touring with Frank that he was larger than life. And I knew this wasn't a national star; that it was an international star. I mean, I, I was touring with a guy who sang songs in English, and he sold out in Japan, twenty thousand seat arenas. He in Brazil, one hundred seventy five thousand people came to see him at one time. Uh, I, I knew, you know, he was he was not only the greatest pop singer on the planet, but he also was a great actor who won the Academy Award, you know, um, that I knew in one time, in flying in his private jet, we were coming back from a gig, and a one-nighter in New Orleans, and we were flying back, and it was a Thursday night, and we were landing, the jet would land in Palm Springs, and then the jet would come back here to Van Nuys, California, and I live in Sherman Oaks, so I would say goodbye to him, and I would fly back to Sherman Oaks with the jet. And he said to me, Tommy, are you going to spend the weekend? This is a Thursday. Are you going to spend the weekend with me down at his compound? I said, no, I've got to go back tomorrow and do the Tonight Show. Uh, He said, I'll call Fred DeCordova. I'll get you out of it. I said, no. (laughs) I said, I don't want want to get out of it. Frank, it was my 50th appearance on the Tonight Show. I did 61 appearances on the Tonight Show, but this was going to be my 50th, and they were making a big deal out of it. So uh, Frank said, uh, really, he said, wow, that's a lot of times. Are you the comedian who's done the most appearances on the Tonight Show? I said, oh, no, David Brenner did more than me and maybe Rodney and maybe uh, that might be it. But I said, but it doesn't matter. Uh, no matter what I do, Frank, for the rest of my life, I could find a cure to cancer. But my obituary is going to say the comedian who toured with Frank Sinatra. He said, Well, maybe my obituary will say the singer who toured with Tom Dreesen. And we both started laughing so hard, <laughs> it was like two high school sophomores, because it was. He said, What do you laugh? No, and we'd both start laughing again, you know. But it's come to pass that that is true. I was running a marathon for multiple sclerosis. My sister Darlene had MS, so I would run 26 miles every year. I did it for three years, and we called it 26 miles for Darlene. And just before I was ready to start, they had the camera crews out there in Chicago, and, and they were saying. And the CNN guy said, "I'm standing out here live with Tom Cruise, about to run his first marathon. Tom, before you get started, tell us a story about Frank Sinatra." <laughs> so I, I, I just knew, and I accept this, and 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 I don't mind. And you're okay with mind.
2: it. You're okay with the fact that you know
11: that why will... I'm okay with it because Frank, in the beginning, he was the boss of the tour. Mm. As time went by, we became friends. He became like a buddy, and we hung out till till the wee hours in the morning, till dawn. He never went to bed till the sun came up. So on the road or off the road, when I stayed at his house down in the desert, we'd ride around the desert till dawn. And toward the end of his life, he was more like a father
4: to me. Mm.
11: And he gave me fatherly advice. So no, I don't. I don't mind at all because I loved the man. And, and I was a pallbearer at his funeral and I spoke at his funeral and I miss him every day of my life. So and it's a long answer to a short question.
2: You know, you mentioned Sinatra as an actor. One of the areas where I don't think Sinatra gets uh, celebrated enough is for his accomplishments as an actor and not just from here to eternity but if you look at his work in the Manchurian candidate if you look at his work in musicals like uh uh Guys and Dolls he really was an absolutely terrific actor wasn't he
11: What about the man with the golden arm well, oh, he should have won the academy Absolutely Award. a fine f- what about a movie and the original um,
2: the, the original Ocean's 11 as well
11: yeah, what, what about the movie called Suddenly? You know, sometimes people would say to me, well, you know, Frank was really being more of, of a, a – he didn't go deeper into a character. I said, that's a lie. I mean, what, Maggio, how deep did he go into that character? Mm. How about the, the movie Suddenly where he played an assassin? Uh, you know, it, it, he, he was – you know, one night sitting in, at his compound – he had he had this huge compound down in Rancho Mirage, and the outer perimeters were all these bungalows uh, named after his songs, uh, Strangers in the Night, Tender Trap, My Way, uh, songs like that, that. The bungalows were named after that. And his house guests were would be like Gregory Peck and his wife, Veronique. It would be Jack Lemon and his wife, Felicia. It would be um, Kirk Douglas and his wife, Anne. Uh, Clint Eastwood and whoever he was dating at the time, you know, <laughs> Robert Wagner, Joe St. John. All these people, Angie Dickens, all the women had gone to bed and the guys were sitting around talking. And I was sitting there like a fly on the wall. These are people that I had seen in the movies in Harvey, Illinois when I was a little boy growing up. You know, and I'm listening to them talking about film and filmmaking and directing and acting. And I noticed that Kirk Douglas, Jack Lemon, Clint Eastwood, and that uh, Gregory Peck were paying great reverence to Frank. Mm. And I, it was curious. And I said, out of you know, out of nowhere, I said, "Did you ever study acting?" Because in Hollywood, everybody tells you who they studied with, you know. Uh, and so I said, "Frank, did, I was curious who he studied with." I said, "Frank, did you ever study acting?" And Gregory Peck grabbed my arm very firm. He said, ah, "Acting lessons would have ruined him. He was a diamond in the rough. You didn't fool with. That's why when you gave Frank a song, to him it was a script." What did the writer feel the night the writer took pen in hand? Frank would immerse himself in that lyric and become that lonely guy in the bar whose woman left him, and he's never going to find love again. And you felt that. You know, you felt that. And also the joy of the song. You know, he was an extraordinary artist.
2: Yeah, no, that's for sure. Uh, You know, that role in From Here to Eternity, that's probably the thing that has caused so many observers over the course of the last 50 years to believe that the role of uh, the character of Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather was based on Sinatra because he seems to describe a similar similar set of circumstances as what Frank was going through at that time there was always a lot of speculation that Sinatra was never happy with Mario Puzo because of that situation with The Godfather is that something that you guys ever had the opportunity to talk about
11: Yeah, Frank walked across the room at a party one night and called him an SOB and said, you took parts of my life, put it into a film to make it look like it depicted my life. And what was really angered Frank is that movie From Here to Eternity, how he got that movie w and, and the Godfather they would make you think that they put a horse's head in Right,
2: the, right in the producer's in bed. The studio, sure.
11: In the head of the studio's bed. But the truth was he did a incredible screen test. He was down on luck. Down on his luck. He was he was down and out. The uh, Harry Cohn, the head of the studio, wanted um uh what's his name, from Eli Wallach, uh, to do that part of Maggio. But Eli Wallach was on Broadway at the time, and uh, so he couldn't get out of the contract. But Frank had did, done an incredible screen test. In fact, if you remember the scene where Maggio, in the, in the bar, uh, he, he's drunk and he's in the bar before he gets in a fight with, with uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine. He goes to the bar and he's drunk and and he throws those olives down the bar and he says, come on, seven. You know, he rolls the olives down the bar. Prior to the screen test, he said to the director, do you have anything you want me to do? He said, Frank, the guys a drunk. You've been around a lot of drunks in your life. Mm. Play it. Play it the way you see it. So Frank, when he went to the bar, he ad-libbed that scene. It wasn't in the script. He ad-libbed that scene of rolling down the, the, the olives down the bar. When he finished, Frank told me the story one night at the compound, when he finished that scene and they went cut, the whole crew applauded him. Now, again, this wasn't the great Frank Sinatra time. It was Frank Sinatra, but he was down on his luck, and he needed that job, and he needed that. And as he told me that story, he said, those guys, those crew, and he got choked up telling me. He got, like, light tears in his eyes about how they applauded him, how much that meant to him that night. And then, even still... Harry Cohn wasn't convinced to uh, cast Frank in the film. Ava Gardner was a very dear friend of Harry Cohn's wife, and Ava Gardner lobbied for frank she would call harry Cohn's wife often and the story goes that harry Cohn's wife one night sitting down to dinner the phone had rang she went and talked she came back and she said to harry cohen harry cohen's wife said that was ava and she wants you to consider frank for that role mm. she called again and harry Cohn said well look at the he had a, in, in the in the house he had the screening room he went and looked at it and he goes yeah Yeah, he could do it. They offered Frank $8,000 for that role, and he did it, and he won the Academy Award, and it totally changed his life. So he resented the fact that you would imply that he got that through some mob connection. He got it through his brilliant acting. Uh,
2: In those days, uh, you know, these days, I always think of comedians being the opening act for other comedians, and a lot of times uh, singers or bands being the opening act for other singers or bands. In those days, was it common for a comedian to open for a singer, or is that something that you guys sort of broke the mold with?
11: No, always common. Every show you saw, when I started out in show business, there were no comedy clubs in America. Tim Reed and I, as you know, were America's first black-and-white comedy team. History shows we were the last. Uh, So Tim Reed, who later became Venus Flytrap Flytrap on WKRP Cincinnati, we toured all over the nation working all black clubs in the north and the south, what they affectionately call the Chitlin Circuit, black-owned, black-operated nightclubs. Um, the twenty grand in Detroit, Motown was in Detroit at the time, so all the twenty, all the Motown acts broke their act in at the twenty grand before they went on to Vegas. Uh, the in Chicago, the Cotton Club, the B- uh, Burning Spear, the Guys and Gals Lounge in uh, and, in Boston, the Sugar Shack in Atlantic City, the Club Harlem, and so if there was a singer, there was a comedian opening, or vice versa, there might be a singer opening for a comedian. But that's how nightclubs worked all over the nation, and that's how they worked in Las Vegas. The first time I went to Vegas, I was appearing with Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, at Caesar's Palace. And that was my first time there. And down the strip, on both sides of the strip, it would be singer, comic, comic, singer. You know, uh, it was only later that they started doing what, you know, uh, it, it, I mean, they might have done it. And small places and stuff like that, but it wasn't a major thing to put two singing acts back to back, you know.
2: It's been reported that uh, Sinatra could have quite a temper. Is that accurate or is that just part of the myth that's built up over Sinatra over the years?
11: That's about as accurate as anything you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was—I'm Irish, Italian, you know—and and, uh, I always say there's a war going on inside me, you know. Uh, but I'm—I'm I'm half Sicilian and half Irish. And Frank was was full blood Italian, but he was half Sicilian, and and he, you know, and all the stories about him, you know, the old story that that uh, he had Sicilian Alzheimer's. You know, it's to same in Alzheimer's. Is you can't remember anything but the, the vendettas, branches, right? Yeah, yeah, you know that joke. Uh, but yeah, but he he had it, he had a temper. But on the other hand, you know, he he by his own admission, on an interview many many years ago, I think it was Walter Winchell, one of those old time guys. But and he said, "I'm a 24 karat manic depressive." He said, it, it, by Frank's own admission, so I'm not telling stories out of school. He he suffered with mood swings sometimes. You know. And, um, and uh, you know, and, and it was only later in his life that he totally realized this. And, and he even took a medication uh, for it, you know.
5: The
2: um, We're talking with Tom Dreesen, if you're just tuning in. you Tom Dreesen, one of the great stand-ups of all time. You can check out his website, a lot of great clips on there. TomDreesen.com. That's D-R-E-E-S-E-N.com. He's actually going to be performing in in Atlantic City on August 27th at the Ocean Casino Resort at Ovation Hall, one of the great rooms anywhere in America. And uh, we'll talk to you about that show in just a bit. But um, what can you tell us, Tom, about about Frank's drinking? There was always a lot of uh, talk that Dean Martin was a drunkard. And then we've talked to his daughter, who has a show Sunday nights on W.A.B.C. And she said that that was largely a put on that Dean, her father, Dean Martin, was not really uh, drunk most of the time. And it's been reported that uh, that Frank was a very heavy drinker. Is that accurate?
12: Well, here's, here's
11: what's accurate, and Dean is right. You know, Dean, if you, you if you study the history of show business, Frank did a movie called The Joker Is Wild about Joey Lewis, and and Joey Lewis was a singer who ended up with the mob slashed his throat and ended up becoming a comedian. And Joey Lewis's whole act was he was drunk. I mean, he would go on stage drinking. He had a few drinks before the show. I mean, Dean
2: Martin's. Oh, Joey Lewis. I'm talking about Joey Lewis.
11: Joey Lewis would go on stage like he was drunk. And the audience loved the fact because you're drunk, you can say things that you might not have said. Mm. And you could be excused for that. So, you you know, because and the people would say, you know, he's had too much to drink. Dean emulated joey in a lot of ways you know it was joey lewis's real line uh. that i feel sorry for people who don't drink because when they wake up in the morning that's as good as they're going to mm-hmm. feel all day you know dean later did that joke dean also in his vegas act would walk out on stage they say ladies and gentlemen direct from the bar dean martin and dean would saunter out with a drink in his hand and it you i'm paraphrasing we do something like everybody Love somebody, sometime, and they would look at the piano player and they would say, "How long have I been out here?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, now the whole audience would roar because oh God, he's having a few drinks too many. Dean wasn't drunk, but but you can get away with a lot of stuff if you if people think that you had too much to drink, you know. And so, you no, know, Dean wasn't a drinker. Frank, conversely, loved Jack Daniels, Jack and a splash. You know that was his, his drink of choice. He called it the nectar of the gods. You know now, not during a show would Frank drink. Toward the end of his show, he would stop and have Jack and a splash, a little sip, and he'd do a couple more songs. He would toast the audience and say, "You know, may you all live to be 150 years old." And the last voice you'll hear is mine. You know that kind of stuff. And but and then but then he would hang out till dawn. Now I personally. In the 14 years I toured with Frank, and I knew him before that and after, I never saw him fall down drunk ever once.
9: Mm.
11: You know, toward the end of his life, he sipped a little bit. He never chug lugged when I was with him. Now, earlier in his career, I had heard about those stories, but I never personally saw him fall down drunk. And by the way, I came from a neighborhood of drunks. You know, uh, my, my father was an alcoholic. My mom drank heavy at one time. I was a bartender in bars. I know a drunk when I see one, you know.
2: You've told a story before about how there was one instance where you and Frank are performing before a packed capacity crowd of 20,000 or so people. And by the time this is very late in Frank's career, but the third of the fourth song comes on and Sinatra has a difficult time remembering the lyrics. Can you talk about that experience? What must that have been like for Frank, for you, for the fans on an emotional level?
11: Uh, ironically, you bring that up because I just told your screener, uh, who just called me Alex, that I I was looking – friends are texting me from all over the country saying Joe Rogan just put on TikTok uh, a video of a story I told, this story I'm about to tell you, uh, Kevin Nealon. Uh, about three or four years ago, and now it's gone crazy all over the uh, TikTok and Instagram and on and the internet of this this story that I'm about to tell you. We were working the Quad Cities. We were touring all over the country. Frank was 78 years old, and of course, at that age, we we're all wondering when is he going to lay it down? Because there were nights that he might forget a lyric or two, or something like that, and, and so you're saying, gee, I wonder when he's going to lay it down, you know? And and uh, and people used to ask me. I said, "I don't know when he's going to lay it down. I think you i don't think you'll ever do it. I think you'll be in the middle of my way one night and fall over, and it'll be yep. all over." You know, I would joke. But one night at the Quad Cities, in, in up in Illinois, it's Benton Court, Iowa. Um, it's um, Moline, Illinois. I, it's, it's four cities, Quad Cities. It's called the Mark Auditorium, and there were about. 15,000 people in the arena, and I did my show, and it was a real good crowd. The orchestra was in an orchestra pit, and we were in, in, the, in, the, in the arena around there. So Frank goes out, and he sings three songs, and he's doing real good. He gets to the fourth song, and he totally blanked on the lyrics. In the middle of, the, and, and I, all of a sudden, I heard him saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, I was stage left, and I worked my way to stage. I said, oh my God. He's, and now he's going, I'm sorry. The orchestra not realizing that he had forgotten the lyric, were still playing, and he kept saying, "I'm sorry, I'm so sorry." And finally, the orchestra, realizing he wasn't with them, began to wind their instruments down one at a time to an eerie silence in this entire arena. And now everyone could hear him whispering, "I'm sorry, I, I, I'm just, I'm just so sorry." Now I'm thinking, "Okay, this is it. We're going home. Um, I'm gonna, uh, you know." You know, say, let's go, Mr. S. It's been a great career, but it's time to go home. And he looked, he turned and looked my way like he looked like he was going to come off stage. And just then up in the arena, way up on top of the arena, a guy stood up and shouted as loud as he could. That's all right, Frank. It's all right because we love you, Frank. And it's all right because we love you. And all, he started to applaud, and the people around him started to applaud, and pretty soon everybody around him was applauding. And all of a sudden, like in a circular around that huge arena, they kept applauding until finally the entire reading, uh, arena was applauding, and they stood up cheering. I still thought Frank was going to leave, but he started to look toward, like he was coming off, and he went back to center stage, and they couldn't stop cheering for him. And finally they settled down. And he went into the next number, and it was, come Rainer, come shine. And he didn't miss a lyric, I'm going to love you huh? like nobody's love you, come Rainer And he was like a kid again. He nailed every lyric, every nuance. And when he finished, they rose to their feet. And I swear, it, it seemed like it was five minutes. They would not stop cheering. And as he started to sing the next song, he pointed up to the top to that guy. He said, I love you too, pal. And he sang for about 11 months after that, uh, before he finally laid it down.
2: Uh, tell me about the event in Atlantic City at the Ocean on August 27th. I've been to Ovation Hall at the Ocean many times. It's a great place to see uh, a comic. It's a great place to see a singer. What are you guys doing down there?
11: Well, there's a singer named Michael Mortucci, who I think you know, and, and he's a wonderful, wonderful singer. He plays great, pays great tribute to Frank Sinatra. I, I have turned down... People all over the country for years that wanted me to come and work with them because they sing. They don't do. Some do impressions of Frank, and some just do pay tribute to the music. But I never wanted to do that. And then Elliot Weissman, Frank's manager, uh, who was Frank's manager, called me and and he told me about Michael. And then Michael contacted me and he said, "Let's do one day together." I've got so many things going on in my life right now. We're doing a documentary in my life. I've got a book out, as you know, um, still standing my journey from streets and saloons to the stage in Sinatra that I'm promoting because I couldn't put it out during COVID. I couldn't go out during COVID. So I'm I'm, I'm so busy. I didn't want to do this, but because I do a one-man show about Frank called The Man Who Made Sinatra Laugh. But m- 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 after watching Michael sing, I realized how good he really was. He's got a 20-piece orchestra and it's going to be an incredible show. He's going to come out and do some songs and and then i'm going to come out and do stand up comedy and then also some stories of frank and video of Frank and I together, the stories that people have never heard before, you know. And then, uh, then he'll come back and do some songs, and then we'll both come out and take a bow. But it, I'm really excited about it because I haven't been to Atlantic City since I was there with Frank. Outstanding.
2: Well, that should be something. I hope to see you when you're out east. If uh, if people are interested in getting uh, in getting tickets to that, they can go to theoceanac.com. They can also go to tomdreesen.com, or you could just call the Ocean Casino and uh, and get tickets through that. My only. Well, d- d-
11: Go Ticketmaster. Ahead. I don't think the Ocean Casino. Believe it or not. I Are you don't kidding? Think they, they sell tickets. I think you have to go to Ticketmaster.
2: I stand corrected. Well, that's. Uh, I'm glad. Or you, you would be the guy. You would be the guy to know. My only beef with you is that you've got a, a morning host, a great guy from some other radio station, hosting this show, and there's nobody that talks about Atlantic City and Frank Sinatra on the radio more than me. That's my lone complaint about that show.
11: Well, and that's a very good complaint. And I'll tell you why. I had nothing to do with that decision. And if I did, I probably would have gotten a bigger name than both you guys. But I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Blame I, I, you. By the way, you know I had nothing to do with that, but uh, yeah, but you're I'll... more than welcome. And if you do come, I want you to come backstage and and uh, and uh, be my guest. Well, thank you, than Tom. Good. I
2: will see you when you're out here. Hopefully, maybe we even get you in studio. That'll be a lot of fun.
11: Uh, that would be fun for sure.
2: Thank you. And by the way, I did check. Uh, you can get tickets both on Ticketmaster and at the Ocean's website, theoceanac.com. Just click on uh, Entertainment. Oh, can. Oh, I yeah, didn't know it's that. on both. All right,
11: Tom Dreeson, and, and By the way, real quick, right. quick, cheap plug, but you can also get my book on Amazon.com. It's got over four hundred five-star reviews. Okay, that's my. Cheap Let's do this plug.
2: again I'm in right. a week or two because uh, I didn't even scratch the surface with issues that I wanted to ask you about. So we'll we'll continue this conversation in a couple of weeks if you're if you're game.
11: I'm game. Thanks, Frank.
2: Thank I you. The it. great Tom Dreesen uh, performing in Atlantic City August 27th. Check out the website, TomDreesen.com. Check out the book. Uh, he's got two, actually, two great books, one with Tim Reed, the comic that I mentioned earlier, and uh, it's uh, both worth reading. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on any portion of our interview. That's 800-848-9222.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
4: Be a lady tonight Luck, be a lady tonight Luck, if you've ever been a lady to begin with Luck, be a lady tonight
2: Frank Sinatra singing Luck Be a Lady. Uh, I don't know if he sings it as well as Marlon Brando does. What do you think? (laughs) I mean, I love Marlon Brando, but uh, come on. Uh, Nobody sings this like Frank Sinatra. Hey, a couple of quick things. One, I want to remind you, if you're not already doing so, please follow me on Twitter. I did buy a lottery ticket for the Mega Millions. I bought $20 worth of lottery tickets to the Mega Millions, to be precise. And I tweeted, um, I came to a decision yesterday, even though I've kind of spent most of this money already, I came to a decision yesterday that I would somehow find a way to free up a million dollars and I would, I would share it with everyone that retweeted the tweet that I put out nine hours ago. So, so far, um, 21 people have retweeted that tweet. So if you retweet that tweet... I am earmarking $1 million that will be divided evenly among everybody that retweets that. Uh, if I win the jackpot. If I win only a million through the mega ball, then you're out of luck. But if I win the jackpot, you're in luck. Uh, if you retweet, I'll share the money with you happily. Find me on Twitter, at Frank Moreno. Hey, I also want to thank uh, one of our listeners. He sent me the uh, an article. Apparently, what my son has been doing with faking his cough is very common with babies babies do it all the time it's very normal and they've been doing it for a long time i didn't know that so thanks for sending that article hey until next hour in the words of the great bob barker help control the pet population get your dog or cat spayed or neutered
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Marano.
2: Well, you know who's back? That was quick. Chris Cuomo. You remember Chris Cuomo? Chris Cuomo largely had two claims to fame. One, he was Mario Cuomo's son. Two, he was Andrew Cuomo's brother. Uh, Chris Cuomo very famously did a show on CNN. I, I, I'll try to refrain from injecting too much of my personal opinion into his show. It was one of the top-rated shows on CNN, but uh, it is what it. Okay, you know, still very, very shy of the shows that are on networks like Fox News. But uh, he was one of the top-rated shows on primetime on CNN. Now, he was let go for helping his brother Andrew during a scandal. The public story, and who knows, usually the private story is always a little bit different than what uh, the public knows. But the public story was this, that Chris Cuomo can't really be a journalist If he's behind the scenes helping cover up a scandal from one of the most prominent politicians in America. Now, that would make sense if CNN acted like a news organization and if Chris Cuomo were a journalist. But in my view, Chris Cuomo, at least with his time with CNN, was never a journalist. Now, there was a time when Chris Cuomo was a journalist when he was working with ABC. That's when I got to meet him. He would actually fill in with Curtis from time to time. Uh, Chris Cuomo would be a substitute for Ron Kuby from time to time. And I got to tell you, the few times that I met Chris Cuomo or interacted with him by phone or via email or whatever, he was actually always a pretty nice guy to me. And uh, I saw him once in an ice cream shop out uh, by my where my mother in law lives on Eastern Long Island. And he seems like a very attentive dad. That being said, I think his behavior on CNN the entire time that he was in prime time was absolutely abominable. He was not a journalist. What he was, was a left wing pundit and opinion maker. And I'm okay with that. Uh, There's a lot of left wing pundits and opinion makers that I really enjoy. Uh, Not so many that are on TV now, but uh, people that are out there in the blogosphere, people that do podcasts, people that are guests on a lot of shows. I don't care. Fine. You want to be left wing, be left wing. Makes no difference to me. But, my problem, one, was he would run around calling himself a journalist, and CNN would run around calling themselves a new, news organization when this was an hour of just pushing one political agenda. And I also had a big problem with all the free airtime that he gave his brother, uh, praising him as the greatest governor that's ever lived, so on and so forth, in words or substance, and this dog and pony show. I mean, it wasn't journalism. It was almost it – was, it was propaganda. It was entertainment and it was propaganda. It was not journalism. So to me, CNN was kind of trying to have it both ways. They were trying to benefit from that Cuomo relationship when Andrew Cuomo was riding high. And then they were claiming when Andrew Cuomo was on his way down and Chris Cuomo was getting some Me Too allegations of his own, they were trying to claim, oh, well, this is a violation of our journalistic integrity. Well, what journalistic integrity? Now you're worried about that? So, I thought that was always a little fallacious how c n n has handled this whole thing well now former c n n anchor Chris Cuomo is joining News Nation. Are you familiar with News Nation? We had one of the stars of their network uh who I actually really like Ashley Banfield on the show, and I thought she was great when she was on this show the this they are a twenty seven of twenty four seven cable news network owned by Nextar Media Group. So Cuomo has been off the air since he was indefinitely suspended last November following these revelations about his involvement in the management of his brother's sex scandal. Uh, then he was fired by the network. Now, uh, this is a little strange because News Nation's whole promotion, their whole marketing Their whole advertising, Ashley Banfield and her interview with me, has all been about one thing. Well, we're not interested in being a left-wing pundit or a right-wing pundit. We're just interested in giving you the news. And I would enjoy News Nation for that very reason. They struck me as pretty fair. They struck me as doing pretty good segments on a lot of hot-button issues, the kind of which you wouldn't see on Fox News, you wouldn't see on MSNBC, and you certainly wouldn't see on CNN, with the notable exception of Michael Smirconish, which is a very fair show. But um, I said that's great. And all I could think as I was seeing News Nation do this kind of journalism is I hope they succeed. I hope they do well. Well, they haven't done well. They have struggled to attract an audience. They uh, see an average of around fifty thousand viewers a night. Now that may sound like a lot, but um, it's not. Uh, by comparison, Fox News typically sees more than two million viewers a night, and CNN or MSNBCs they see less than a, uh, less than half of that. So, depending on the story, depending on the night, CNN or MSNBC, and depending on the show, they'll see between seven hundred thousand and nine hundred thousand viewers a night. Fox News will see 2 million viewers a night. 50,000 not even scratching the surface. That's almost like kind of where Newsmax is. In fact, it might even be less than where Newsmax is in prime time. So um, they need to do something. And I guess they think that by signing Chris Cuomo a star, that they're going to do something, that this is a big get for them. I don't know what they're paying him, but we'll see. Yesterday... He did his first appearance on News Nation. He appeared with Dan Abrams
13: and answered the question, what's it like to be Chris Cuomo today? Transition, change, uh, saying it is easy, explaining it as advice to somebody else is easy. It's hard to live it. Uh, it's been a hard several months. And I tried or I am trying to use them To figure things out about myself, about who I want around me, what I want my life to be about. This was a very heavy period for me personally.
2: You know, again, this is the first time I'm hearing this audio because I knew what my reaction would be to seeing this self-righteous Chris Cuomo, who's a millionaire, who thinks the rules don't apply to him, who loves sexually harassing people, who loves wearing sports jackets that are two or three sizes too small when he's moderating debates so he could show the world how muscular he is, who loves getting into uh, arguments with, um, with, with, with people that he meets that call him Fredo and acting like a tough guy. I just... Chris Cuomo drives me crazy as, as an on-air personality. Again, uh, I can't stress it en- enough that in the limited interactions that we had when I was a producer, uh when I was working with Curtis mostly, he was a, a total gentleman. Uh, as a guy on the air, I find almost like his brother. Like every word that he says is so dripping with self-importance and arrogance. You listen to Chris Cuomo, all he would do is read words that I'm guessing were written for him by someone else, and put forward a ultra left wing political ideology that I speculate he knew very little about. If you actually were to actually drill down to the substance, and I'm going to invite him on the show to promote this, but um, he, and I doubt that'll come on, but he was just so arrogant and annoying and self righteous. And I really think the fact that News Nation, unless he's going to do a very different type of show, but the fact that News Nation would sign this guy tells you, all right, well, we tried to be fair. We tried the no opinion, just the news situation. Now we're going to go be salacious and opinionated like everybody else. Uh, I'm curious what you think of this. Now, I'm all for second chances. I'm not going to watch this show. I'm all for second chances. I'm all, I don't like cancel culture. I don't like people never being able to work again because I'm waiting for the moment when I say something too controversial and people run me out of town. I would like to be able to one day get a job again. But I just find him so incredibly irritating. So he um, was talking to Dan Abrams about interviewing his brother, the former governor of the state of New York, Andrew Cuomo.
14: Let's talk about some of the specifics here. Um, It started, really, the controversy started Mm -hmm. with regard to your brother when you started interviewing him during COVID.
13: Right. Um, Do you regret that? No. Um, But I think it's more fair to say, subject to your own counter, um, that the media was pretty quiet when Andrew was first coming on the show. That's true. Uh, Why? Not me. Because people... It resonated with people in a way that nothing – I've won almost every award that the TV journalism business has to offer, mostly because I've worked with the best teams uh, that TV journalism has to offer. I've never had people thank me for what they saw as the help. That they got during uh, my we, reporting. Excuse me. Let me pause I this for a second. COVID.
2: I, I'm glad I got a haircut yesterday because I would be pulling the, le- the my hair out of my head if I could grasp it. Does anybody believe that that's true? This has got to be the biggest pack of lies that I've ever heard anybody spew. Does anybody really believe that after he's doing an interview with Andrew Cuomo, which, by the way, a person you could see on 9,000 other TV networks, 9,000 other radio stations, you could see him in his two-hour press conferences every day, you could read about him in the pages of his $5 million book. Does anybody really believe that they were tuning in to Chris Cuomo every night on CNN and then... And they were so moved by what was happening that Chris Cuomo, who's won every journalism award TV has to offer, by the way, if you didn't hear that part, they're running up to Chris Cuomo and saying, thank you. Thank you. Does anybody believe that? Do you, I, I th- Do you know how often I've been thanked for an interview uh, by, by listeners? Maybe 12 times, maybe 15 times in a lifetime of broadcasting. Maybe. And Chris Cuomo wants you to believe (laughs) that people were thanking him for the public service that he was doing of interviewing Andrew Cuomo? Well, you could almost understand that if one of three things was the case. One, if there was any substance to these interviews. There was none. They were running around with giant Q-tips making fun of um, who has a bigger nose. Two... You could understand it if Andrew Cuomo wasn't going on any any other show. Andrew Cuomo was on every other show. Three, he was on with Rudy Giuliani. He was on with Howard Stern. He was on the the uh, Rachel Maddow. He was on every show. Hello,
13: and, this is Governor Andrew Cuomo,
2: and saying the same thing in these press conferences every day. Three. I don't know if you know this, but Chris Cuomo has won every journalism award that this business has to offer, which tells you
13: a lot about
2: the state of TV journalism. Am I right? Please continue.
13: About uh, the people around us who were in charge of COVID and the interviews with my brother, which my everything I know about this situation tells me that, of course, there's a conflict of interest. But people you got think? that. What? Man, nobody I thought I was interviewing my brother the way I interview other people. That wasn't the point of purpose of those things. And I even said at the time, well, what was the people are like you don't need to say that. The time will come when he can't come on this show anymore. There will be a time for accountability. There always is in crisis. and I can't cover him about that. People got that. The media should have gotten it. They should have seen it for what it was. Oh my God. And I believe that there was a purity test that was applied to that. That wasn't really fair given the context and circumstances as people understood them. That said, you are correct. That was something that was going to come back to haunt me. It was just a question of when. I
2: love these dramatic pauses in between sentences, like he's reciting the Talmud or something. My goodness. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? Essentially what Chris Cuomo was saying is people should have not raised any objection to him, interviewing his brother when they were doing positive stories about his brother,
15: but of
2: course he's not going to interview him when it's come comes time to have a critical story of Andrew Cuomo. This is the biggest load of malarkey since New Coke. This is ridiculous, um, and it's one of the many reasons why I just can't will not be able to watch this new Chris Cuomo show. I'm curious, one. Do you think uh, Chris Cuomo deserves a second chance? I do, actually, Um, but I'm still not going to watch it. Two, are you going to watch this show, even uh, with morbid curiosity, 800-848-9222? Three, do you think that this undermines News Nation's credibility as a news network by hiring someone that was essentially fired for being a participant in a crisis story instead of being a a journalist covering it? Or four, do you think uh, Chris Cuomo's right? Any of those are fine. Whatever your take is on this, it's certainly fine. And those of you that are holding on other issues, I'll get to you as well. 800-848-9222. So Chris Cuomo is going to host his own primetime show for the network beginning this fall. Uh, They didn't say, unless I missed it, which hour he is going to be hosting. Uh, So that's that. He uh, was with CNN since 2013. He had also he also hosted a show, a radio show for Sirius which was just horrible. It was even worse than his father's radio show on this station. He hosted a radio show for Sirius but left that job shortly after he was fired from CNN and earlier this month, I didn't even know this, but earlier this month he introduced a new podcast called the Chris Cuomo podcast. Can we talk about that by the way? That there's a Chris Cuomo podcast, that there are people actually listening to this drivel. And it goes to show you what I said yesterday, that if you have enough followers on social media, which Chris Cuomo certainly does, if you have enough followers on social media, you can do absolutely anything and still find a way to make a living as a podcaster. So that's why I actually need you to follow me on all forms of social media. On Twitter at Frank Moreno, on Facebook at Facebook.com. Slash Morano fan and on Instagram at Morano vision, because when I'm publicly disgraced, I'd like to make a something of a comeback on, um, you know, on uh, as a podcast hoax. So in the week leading up to his firing, CNN was informed of a new sexual harassment allegation against Chris Cuomo. I don't like to be one of these guys that kicks people while they're down, which is why I haven't said anything about this. And I also don't like to be someone that automatically believes every accusation of sexual harassment about people, because I've known a lot of people that have been accused of sexual harassment that was not uh, that was not accurate. All right. Um, I'm going to play two more clips of Chris Cuomo, and if I can avoid vomiting, I, we will take your calls. 800-848-9222. So, Dan Abrams, who I actually think I did a good job in this interview, he asked... A lot of the same questions that that I would have asked had I been conducting this interview, how he was able to keep a straight face through Chris Cuomo dramatically pausing and doing that dramatic look to the camera. I'll never understand. Um, Here's another clip of Chris Cuomo, who, by the way, has won every journalistic award that this business has to
14: offer. What did you tell CNN about your involvement in those conversations, did you say to them right at the outset, hey, guys, I just want you to know, I'm going to be
13: talking to my brother a lot through this process. It was known. Now, Answer, as you said, no, there's he litigation. Did not I tell want to respect that. it. But the reason I'm it was shy known. on this subject is not just pro forma because there's litigation. I really believe that I have to focus on things that I think are helpful to people. And I learned something during this period. I have been obsessed with what happened, when, what was known, and there are a lot of facts that I believe are going to come out. I've also learned that they are largely only important to me, Dan, (laughs) in terms of what I want people to think and how I want people to feel and how I want them to see me. What's funny? That's about me. I don't think that it's helpful to a lot of other people. So, yes, there's litigation going on, but I'm telling you, I never lied and there were no secrets.
2: Uh, so did you hear how he did not answer Dan Abrams' question? Did you tell CNN? There are three acceptable responses to that. Yes, no, or I don't recall. Instead, he says it was known. That wasn't the question. That wasn't the question. Did you tell CNN? Yes, no, or I don't remember. It was known. Please, please. Um, so, Chris Cuomo, you remember the advice he was giving to his brother, Andrew? The advice he gave Andrew was blame all this sexual harassment on the cancel culture, right? Because that's everybody's go-to. Once you get canceled, whether you're left-wing, right-wing, no-wing, you, throw, you just say cancel culture, and then that's, that throws everybody a lifeline. So, Abrams asked him, were you a victim of the cancel culture?
14: Did you do any research, help try and find information about some of the women making accusations against your brother?
13: Never. And the text that you're talking about, or whatever the communication is, um, is demonstrably not about that. This was a situation where there were so many accusers coming out that were a surprise, unaware, unknown. That's what the team was saying to me. I got a call from a friend. Who knew this woman and said, hey, I know who that is, said something about how he knew them. At the time, no one knew who she was. That's what that communication and context was about, not me digging into tracks. I got to find a lead something. on her? I mean, a lead. What does that mean? It means that, that you don't know who she is. I think I know who she is.
14: And therefore
13: what? Then, therefore, when I then contacted. Uh, I think, Melissa, but again, this will all come out. Um, She said, no, we know who that is. You're late on it. I said, oh, okay. Because I was contacted about it. I never made a phone call about it. I would never make a phone call about any of them, and I never did. And there will never be any proof of otherwise, because it never happened.
2: I actually thought that was a pretty good answer to the, the question about doing research on the accusers. But this was actually the comment that I was referring to about the cancel culture. I don't
13: think I've ever been a victim of anything ever in my life. You make choices... You make a choice to be in this business. You make a choice uh, to be in that dynamic and to want to be relevant. And it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fair. Uh, My therapist has a great line. Fair is the only real four-letter word, you know, in terms of a curse. Uh, I don't feel sorry for myself. Uh, I'm certainly not a victim. Well, that's very big of him.
2: All right. Those of you that are holding on any subject, I'll take your calls. If you want to talk about anything that we haven't covered yet you will, or that we've covered beyond Chris Cuomo, beyond Sinatra, beyond Tom Dreesen, beyond dementia, you're welcome to. Any subject is fair game for the rest of the hour. Coming up next hour, we'll go live to Atlantic City, talk with Jesse Kurtz. And in our fourth hour, we will chat with uh, Brian Kilmeade, who is uh, just back from Georgia, where he spoke with Herschel Walker and some other people as well. So we'll talk to him about that. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
2: The Divinals. I touch myself. Uh, If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, just uh, join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Uh, That's 1-800-848-9222. If you would like to uh, comment, but if you want to join the Facebook group, just go ahead and uh, do so. Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Now, I'm gonna get to your calls in just a second, but um, last Saturday I had dinner, and my wife and I, with another couple. We went to dinner uh, to one of my favorite restaurants in America. Certainly, my favorite Italian restaurant in the world. And no, no exaggeration. The first thing that I did when I came back from Italy with my mom is we went from the airport to this restaurant. Even though it's an Italian restaurant, even though we'd been in Italy eating Italian food, there's n- the the food at this restaurant is better. Than the Italian food in Italy. It's called Michaels of Brooklyn. It's a great restaurant. So I go there, um, have a great time and everything. And then the owner, Michael, the grandson of the original owner, <clears throat> he says, Oh, let me ask you a question. He said, Uh, Sid called me. I said, Oh, Sid called you. Now, but keep in mind, by the end of the meal, I'm there two and a half hours, right? So you have a you start the meal with a martini, right? And then we share a bottle of wine, the four of us, and then I have a Negroni, and then with dinner, you know, excuse me, with dessert, I'll have an espresso with a a shot of Sambuca. So I've had a martini, a Negroni, a quarter bottle of wine, and uh, some Sambuca, and maybe I'm missing a drink. So I'm pretty soused by the end of the evening. Thankfully, my wife's there to drive. So Michael is telling me about Sid doing a book event at this restaurant. I don't remember him mentioning any specific date and so um he michael's asking me a question about how much they should charge if they have food there and everything and uh he's i said i give him i gave him a number and he said oh really you think only that he said well it comes with the book too oh i said i didn't know it came with the book i ordered the book cost me 27 dollars you'd think sid would give me a free copy but he didn't so I'm pretty soused by the end of the evening. Michael tells me uh, about this. I give him my two cents. And I say, I volunteer, apparently. I volunteer. I say, oh, you know, if you want me to come down, I'll come down. I can host a little Q&A with Sid. We'll do Q- Phil Donahue style if people have questions or whatever. I'll say a little something. We'll get some other people to come down. And I mentioned some other hosts that are, you know, bigger names than than I am. And pretty much I forgot about it almost immediately. <clears throat> So yesterday, as as I'm uh, getting ready to leave, Sid Rosenberg, co-host of the morning show, he walks by, says hello, says good morning, and he says, by the way, you are are absolutely welcome to host that event. And I said, what are you talking about? I had no recollection at all what he was talking about. And Michael's of Brooklyn. I said, oh, and then it all came back to me that I volunteered to host this event. Meanwhile, I don't know what I'm doing volunteering to do extra work on my day off for a book that I didn't even write. So apparently there's this event on August 27th. Now, I am literally triple booked for August 27th. I got the Tom Dreesen event in Atlantic City. I have a Brian Kilmeade event in Newark and my cousins are going over my dad's, I think, that day on Saturday. So I'm supposed to be at a family function on Staten Island. But I have somehow drunkenly talked myself into hosting this Sid Rosenberg event. So i got to see wh- how this is going to play. Because maybe if I can get a free book out of it and I'll get my $27 refunded, maybe it'll be worth it. my while. I'll tell you why I'm actually going to look to go there, because, even though I really shouldn't even be still doing this. The food there is so good that I'm thinking if I go there that there's a scenario in which I get a free meal out of this. And now, I wouldn't care if it was a free meal anywhere else, but a free meal there, that's a pretty good deal. So so stay tuned. I'll keep you posted between now and August 27th. Um, but let that be a cautionary tale for you. If you ever drunkenly agree to host anything. See, you know what my problem is? is when I'm when I'm drunk, I don't slur my words or anything. So I come across as very rational. So Michael didn't know that I'm drunkenly agreeing to, uh, but not agreeing, volunteering to host this Sid Rosenberg event. So he's just, oh, Frank, very rational guy, very nice guy, likes us, likes Sid, he's going to host the event. Okay, sure. And then, um, and I said to Sid, I said, uh, yeah, I uh, I had forgotten that I had offered that. I said uh, I, I said I was half drunk. And Sid said, no, you weren't half drunk. You were all the way drunk. And I said, you weren't even there, Sid. How do you know if I was all the way drunk? I said, I don't think I was that soused. He says, no, you're either sober or you're tanked. That's how it goes. And I said, all right, Sid, you ought to know. So that's, uh, that's where things stand at the moment. Um, all right, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Pete on Staten Island. Hello, Pete.
3: Pete, you there? Yes, I am, Frank. Yeah, I wanted to comment. Uh, Yeah, I was Frank Sinatra. I had a little experience when I worked at uh, Saturday Night Live and at NBC. Frank used to come and he hated to rehearse. So what he would do was they would rehearse for Radio City Music Hall when they played with uh, Nelson Riddle and Count Basie. So what he used to do, my boss, he would send them upstairs and tell them, how does the band sound? You know, he wouldn't even go up. And uh, one day, my boss wasn't there. He sent me up. And he goes, hey, kid, go up and see how the band sounds. So I went up. And I came down. I said, they sound a little rusty. Well, he went up, and he rehearsed for about three hours with them. When they came down, and I was by their loading platform, they were like, forget about it. Like, why did you have to tell them that we were rusty, you know? That was my experience with him. I had a lot of great experiences with him and with Tom and It was great to hear that interview. And I'm thanking you for that interview with him because it was very interesting. There was a lot of things about Frank Sinatra that nobody ever knew. His generosity and how he supported Israel. He was one of the biggest supporters of Israel. So I just wanted to bring that over. Thank to you, you yeah.
2: Pete. Well, I mean, in fairness, I don't think Tom Dreesen mentioned anything about supporting Israel, but it's certainly fine for you to mention that. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Also talking about Chris Cuomo, who, by the way, has won every journalism award in the TV business. What are these journalism awards that Chris Cuomo has supposedly won? I, did he ever win an Emmy? I, 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 I don't. I don't want to say he hasn't because. Um, you know maybe he has but w- w- what are these I awards
13: Ball Ball. I mean, all right
2: so he won he did win he did win a daytime emmy award for outstanding morning host on for Chris good first morning Ball. america he also won a news and documentary emmy award so he won some awards all right uh, i would not have known about it thankfully he's constantly reminding us about that 800 848 9222 Let me say hello to Peter in the Bronx. We'll stick with the Peters. Hello, Peter.
12: Hey, uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, Yeah, I believe everybody should get a second chance. I believe Chris Cuomo deserves a second chance. However, I don't think that man has humbled himself in the least bit. People usually, when their lives are ruined and they drag on the rocks like an alcoholic, after years of that, they'll they'll really go to deep thinking, and then they'll humble themselves and emerge. This guy, uh, he, you know, he, he's just – he's an ego monster, and I don't think he's going mean, to – he reminds me of uh, the reporter in Die Hard 2 that was on the airplane, and he was doing the reports from the plane, and he was just so in love – Richard Thornburg was his name, and he was just so in love with himself. Yeah, I you know what that's actually a very
2: apt comparison. I think that uh I think that's a pretty good comparison actually, Peter. Thank you. I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 9222 Pamela's in Central New Jersey. Hello Pamela. Uh hello.
16: Um hello. I read uh Tom Deefin's book still standing like a year ago and it was uh, such a a good biography and um he's a good writer and there's a little surprise in it, which I won't give away. Uh if you're really reading it into it you will guess it and you'll be surprised um and uh he's a very good
7: uh very good writer
2: Yeah, I, I agree with here. you. I think I know the surprise that you're referring to and uh I'm not going to spoil it for anybody either and I think people should absolutely uh, check out that book. Thank you, uh Pamela. I appreciate that. Still standing is the book. And he wrote another book with Tim reed a few years back which was pretty good as well. So, interesting thing happened to me I, I've talked about this before, Curtis and I were in an episode of the TV series Damages in around 2010, okay? This was, I think, the first episode of season three or the, yeah, I think it was the first episode of season three, okay? I still get royalty checks from this show. Now, most of them are about, uh, let's see, the most recent royalty check that I got. I happen to have it on me. $4.11, right? But, hey, $4.11 is, you know, that's real money. So yesterday, as I was driving in, after I picked up my lottery ticket, I said, let me go to the bank. Let me deposit this check for $4.11. Go to the bank. I go reach into my wallet and I uh reach for my debit card. Sure enough, I can't find it. Now, I've already lost my American Express card. I requested a backup copy, but it one has not come. And now, sure enough, I'm looking all over my wallet. I don't have my debit card. So, <clears throat> um I remember a day or two ago, I stopped in at the uh, at an ATM machine on my way home to uh, check my balance because I was going to pay some bills. Okay, Got my balance information. And sure enough, I'm thinking as I can't find my debit card that I must have left it at that other debit card, at that other debit card location. So I... Don't have the number on the back of the card. But I said, let me just Google. My bank is, I like smaller banks, especially ones that were not bailed out by uh, anybody. Oh, no, I remember. I went there on July 26th because I needed money for my haircut. That's what I did. I needed cash for my haircut, and I, and I must have left my debit card there. Okay, So, I as I'm driving in, and I'm thinking, oh, this is the last thing I need right now. As I'm driving in, I Google the number for Northfield Bank, and I call them, and this is the beginning of the message that I hear.
0: Thank you for calling Northfield Bank. Our offices are presently closed. If you know your party's extension, you may dial it at any time. Obviously, I don't. To access your account information, press 1. Is there a better option? To report option? a lost or stolen ATM or debit card, ah. press 6. Ah. For a last name...
2: So, so, I press that option. I press 6. And then it says, please enter your card number. Now... How am I supposed to enter my card number with a lost ATM card? Do people have their their ATM card numbers committed to memory? So it says, if you don't have your ATM card number, if you don't know it, if you don't have it, press number whatever it says, zero. And I uh, I said, great. This is going to work out here. I'm going to be able to cancel this, and I'm going to be able to get a new card, hopefully. So I press the number zero. And then it says, all right. Let's find another way to confirm your identity. Great. I've got all sorts of other ways. And it asked me to enter my nine-digit social security number. I enter it. And and then I get another automated message. And I realize it was at night, so these people are all going to be closed. I get another automated message that says, please enter the last four digits of your card number. And I said, wait a minute. I just checked the option that said I I I don't have my card number and I gave you my social security number. Why do I and, and then there's no other option. No other option. So I'm really annoyed by this, but I wanted to show how futile and how silly this whole thing was. So as soon as I got to the radio station, I called them up and began this whole process again so that you could hear. Exactly what I went through on the way in. These are the sacrifices that I make for you instead of actually learning something about the news items that we're talking about. But but, wouldn't you know it? When I call them, I get a totally different set of options. I get that same prompt that says, uh, press one for account information. If you have a lost or stolen card, press six. But then it doesn't take me to a... Enter your card number, or if you don't have your card number, press this.
0: Instead, this is what I hear. I did not recognize that as a valid entry. I pressed six. Thank you for calling Northfield Bank. Our offices are presently closed. If you know your party's extension, you may dial it at any time. To access your account information, press one. To report a lost or stolen ATM or debit card, press six. Six. (laughs) I did not recognize that as a valid entry. What do you mean? Thank you for calling Northfield Bank. I just pressed six. Our offices are presently closed. If you know your party's extension, you may dial it at a time. I did not recognize that as a valid entry.
2: What do you mean? Thank you for calling North. So this goes on and on and on. And I'm trying six pound. I'm trying just six. Then I'm trying to press zero. And it goes on and on and on. So I thought to myself... Well, maybe it's because I'm dialing from the studio computer. Maybe it's because it doesn't recognize the phone number as being associated with my account or it somehow detects that it's a a third party. I don't know that it's not a private phone. That's a multi-line phone. So I said, ah, I know what it is. I'm going to call from my mobile phone just like I did before. Just like I did before. Just on the way here. And. This is what occurs.
0: Thank you for calling Northfield Bank. Our offices are presently closed. If you know your party's extension, you may dial it at any time. To access your account information, press 1. To report a lost or stolen ATM or debit card, press 6. six. For a last name and... I did not recognize that as a valid entry. So
2: now, Northfield even Bank. though, even though I went through the same process that I did driving in... It's not even giving me to the point of frustration that I had before. It it said, all right, Moreno, you you think you're cute, almost making progress on reporting your your card lost or stolen and trying to get a replacement. Oh, no, you don't. We're going to stop you before you even get there by not even recognizing the number six. You know, as much as society advances, sometimes we're not that advanced. No truer example than dealing with automated banking. Am I right? 800. 800- You've got a problem. 800. <laughs> 848-9222. 800-848-9222. Bob is on Staten Island. Hello, Bob.
17: Hi, Frank.
12: Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. i just like to... No accounting for you. taste. I'm being, I'm being one of the few anti-war voices regarding the war in the Ukraine. Seems like um, any time I put on the radio, everybody's... Uh, Everybody is a war lover. So I'd just like to commend you, and I, I hope you don't wind up like um, Phil Donahue, you, you know, getting fired
2: for it. Well, so do and I. Thank you. Again. Believe me. Thank you. And uh, and other people. Richard Bay, for instance, uh, on this station. Yes, I am an anti-war voice. And, you know, I'm a, more than being an anti-war voice, I'm a pro-American voice. And call me crazy, but I don't think we should be sending another $100 million to— the Ukrainians to uh, train them in this w- war with Russia. But we'll get into that. Uh, maybe I'll touch upon that with Brian Kilmeade in our last hour. And my guest tomorrow is uh, going to be George Beebe, who I've really enjoyed my uh, conversations with previously. And I'll ask him about that as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al.
18: Yeah, hi, Frank. You know, I just wanted to – thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to touch on the two uh, topics that people you uh, talked about tonight. Uh, First off, with Frank Sinatra and Chris Cuomo, I just wanted to say what you know because you know a lot about history. Uh, Frank Sinatra in the 60s, uh, he did so much for African-American entertainers. Uh, He did so much for uh, the likes of uh, Sammy Davis and Ella Fitzgerald, who was a Yonkers native. Uh, I just wanted to point that out. And in regards to Chris Cuomo, uh, I, I also think he deserves a second chance. Uh, when I did watch TV before I started to listen uh, to 77 WABC, which was a, is a great lineup with Bill O'Reilly, uh, Rita Cosby, uh, Dominic, and yourself, uh, prior to that, I used to watch Fox. But every once in a while, I would tune in to uh, CNN when Chris Cuomo was still in, uh, employed by that network. And I used to listen to him uh, prior to Bob Lemon. And uh, I wasn't really a big fan of his. Uh, and I you know, didn't really tune in. And I wouldn't tune in again if he goes back on a network. But I do think he deserves a second chance.
2: Well, I, I think you mean um, Don Lemon. Bob Lemon was a baseball player yes. and a manager. Excuse
18: me. Yeah, Don Lemon, of course.
2: Yeah, uh, but I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. That uh, is what it is. 800-848-9222. E. Bailey is in Bronx. Yes, uh, is, is in me. the Bronx. E. Bailey, hello.
15: Yes, hello.
2: Hello. Is the, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Is it E. Bailey? <laughs>
15: I've been trying to get you for the longest. Man. You Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What I called to tell you was Frank Sinatra played in a movie by the name of Detective. I think it was his last movie. And in the movie, his wife was an alcoholic. Do you remember that?
2: You know, I never saw that picture, actually. That's
15: right. A lot of people didn't see it. But I've seen it up here in the Bronx at the Strand. And a lot of people, when we talk about his movies and whatnot, I was surprised... That nobody's seen this picture, and the name of it is "The Detective." And if you check on it, I think MGM was the studio that made it. Metro Golden mare
2: Yeah, I'm looking into it now. It looks pretty good. It has Jack Klugman yes, in it, which I, who Andy I really like.
15: Any of his movies, and yeah. the last one he played in. Yeah. That's I- when he married uh, the English actor's wife. When he died, remember his last wife. He married, she was English, and um, they had something written up about the movie because he came back after that mess with Ava Gardner. Right, not. right. He well, yeah, came back
2: it's actually, um, it was actually uh, 20th Century Fox that made the picture. But this looks good. I've never seen this. I don't think I've heard of this, uh, but it looks great. It's got um, a score by Jerry Goldsmith, who I think is one of the best composers, other than maybe John Williams, one of the best composers in all of history, quite frankly. All right, uh, we'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
4: And just a little. And everywhere I go People know the part I'm playing Paid for every dance Selling its romance Oh, what the There will come a day And youth will pass away What will they say about me When the end comes I know They'll say just the gigolose Life goes on without me and just a gigolo, everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing, paid for every dance, selling each romance, oh, what this is. they say. And there will come a day, and youth will pass away, what will they say about me? When the end comes, I know there's a just a gigolo, life goes on without me ah
2: yes this is the our john edwards update theme song but uh, in all seriousness i um we'll get back to your calls in just a moment if you want to jump on board with anything we're talking about 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 hey speaking of um, motion pictures i saw i saw a motion picture not really a motion picture actually but I saw something that i've been wanting to see for many years because i'm so backed up in what I have to see. It was a um a television dramatization from the n b c showcase in nineteen fifty nine It ran as a two part NBC Showcase. I watched both parts back-to-back on DVD I, from Netflix. I'm still one of the few people that get the DVDs from Netflix. They mail me the red envelopes. And I like it because you always have – it's a much better selection than the streaming, and you always have three new pictures to watch. So I uh, watched Run Sammy – well, excuse me. What Makes Sammy Run? Now, you might be familiar with this. It was a novel novel. By Bud Schulberg, and it was supposedly inspired by the life of his father, who was an early Hollywood mogul. Bud Schulberg is just terrific. He did um, A Face in the Crowd, he did On the Waterfront, he's done a lot of great uh, stories over the years, both um, novels and motion pictures. And It's a really well done story. I mean, you could tell this is the production values are shot for television, not for uh, not for motion pictures. So there are aspects of it that kind of look a little a little cheap. But um, Larry Blyden is in it. Uh, He's the star of it. It's all about. uh, Oh, John Forsyth plays the other star of it. It's all about this very ambitious newspaper copy boy who has outsized ambition and is willing to stop at nothing to get to the top. And it's, I'm sure it's a great book. If I read fiction, I would go and read the book. And so I really love this story. And I'm surprised that no one has ever made a motion picture about this. Apparently there was talk of Steven Spielberg doing it or other people trying to do it. But evidently because it's so critical of the, of the Hollywood machine – even though it takes place in, I guess, the, the late 30s, early 40s, and the, the dramatization that I saw took place in the 50s, I guess because it's so critical of the Hollywood machine that it was, um, you know, it's still too hot for people like Steven Spielberg to do. And it's interesting. I ended up, I became so interested in the story that I, uh, that I did all sorts of research into this who this Sammy Glick, the main protagonist of the story, was based on, all sorts of other things. And here's what I learned. And if you've ever seen A Face in the Crowd, which is a great picture with Andy Griffith, there are so many similarities between What Makes Sammy Run and A Face in the Crowd. The Sammy Glick character in What Makes Sammy Run is very similar to Andy Griffith's character, Lonesome Roads, in A Face in the Crowd. The only difference is uh, Andy Griffith is a hillbilly and uh, Sammy Glick is a street kid. He's you know basically a street rat. That's the only difference. Same same story. Otherwise, really, same kind of character. And what I didn't realize is that Bud Schulberg, the writer of this, he was a communist. He was a communist. He was a member of the Communist Party USA. And when he wrote this book, he they all had roles in how in all the Hollywood people that were communists all had roles. It's your job to be involved in the Writers Guild. It's your job to be involved in the Directors Guild. Your job to be involved in in the um, Screen Actors Guild. And so he had to report to a high-ranking Communist Party member, John Howard Lawson, who was also a writer. And John Howard Lawson wanted him to make all sorts of changes to the book to make it more communist. And he wouldn't do it. And he left the Communist Party. He was also besieged by Samuel Goldwyn and his own father not to write the book. They obviously had more capitalist objections. So Schoberg was uh, begged by both the communists and the capitalists not to write the book, and he still wrote it, and it did very well. And I I wish they would remake this. That's a picture I wish they would remake. Uh, We'll take your calls in a moment. Keep asking questions.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. I always like to inject a little element of unpredictability into the show, like you not knowing what we're going to do next. I like sometimes not knowing myself what direction we're not we're going to go or not go next with that in mind what i have done is i have prepared myself to discuss two possible subjects right now okay so what i'm going to do is i'm going to write down option a okay and option b okay now matt blaze I'm gonna without knowing what each subject is, I want you to select either option A or option B.
5: I'll go with column A.
2: Column A. And you could see what I what I wrote here. Can you see that?
4: <laughs> yes, China. China. Okay,
2: good. So we you have selected. We are gonna talk about China. Uh so I've had this on my list for a while now. So um Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, is um, she added to the itinerary of her forthcoming trip through Asia a stop at the island of Taiwan. Now, she could not have been oblivious to the reaction that she would produce in China, okay, in mainland China, in a stunned Beijing. The, so when the Financial Times revealed that Speaker Pelosi would be visiting Taiwan, which China regards as a breakaway province, an enraged Beijing took the Pelosi visit to be a deliberate U.S. provocation. Beijing's reaction appears authentic and understandable, quite frankly. Here's a quote from a Chinese spokesperson If the U.S. insists on going its own way, China will take the firm and forceful measures to firmly safeguard national sovereignty and territorial integrity. The quote, the U.S. must bear all the consequences of the visit. Close quote. Privately. The Chinese, the mainland Chinese. I'll say whenever I say the Chinese, it's. The mainland Chinese, even though the people in Taiwan, they consider themselves uh, Chinese also. Privately, Beijing is said to be issuing more pointed and serious warnings to the United States, which involve military action. Now, apparently, Speaker Pelosi did not coordinate this with the Biden administration or the Department of Defense. She didn't clear this visit to Taiwan with anybody. On Wednesday, President Biden told reporters Quote, the military thinks it's not a good idea right now, meaning for Pelosi to travel to Taiwan. So where do we stand? China is promising serious retaliation if the highest U.S. official since Newt Gingrich back in 1997 flies to Taiwan. The Biden administration is putting out word that it does not believe that a Pelosi visit to Taiwan is a wise move when the Chinese Communist Party is on the eve of a conference to decide on a third five-year term for Xi Jinping. Now, what would you do here? Do you think Pelosi should go or not go? 800-848-9222. Because my view, I think, has changed on this a little bit. Um. Brian Hyu is a Taiwanese-American journalist. He was on a progressive talk show called Democracy Now, talking about uh, Speaker Pelosi's possible visit to Taiwan. This is what he said.
16: So I think part of the issue then is regarding the timing. Particularly in April, this would have been viewed in light of the Ukraine invasion to then drive from the point of U.S. support for Taiwan. However, now at this juncture, it is thought that it might be too late and that this would lead to Chinese aggression. The question is, what steps would China take? How far would they be willing to go? And these are questions that are up in the air. Uh, but then I think, particularly, one has seen visits from U.S. government officials to Taiwan. This is seen as a show of support, an attempt to send a signal to China. The question is, is this signal just intended to really stick it to China very quickly without actually benefiting Taiwan? Or is it something that should be best not done? What, what do you think?
2: Now, my attitude was I, I've been very critical of China uh, for a whole host of reasons. And my attitude initially was let's, you know, who cares what the Chinese think? We're going to let the Communist Chinese Party tell us what to do with respect to our own public officials visiting places like Taiwan. That was my initial reaction. And I'll be honest, I'm backing off that a little bit. Uh, Gordon Chang was on the Cats at Night show talking about Pelosi's visit to Taiwan.
12: Definitely let her go. And the reason is the Chinese have made this a test of wills. If she doesn't go, it tells Beijing that they can demand that the Biden administration do this or that and that we will submit. So this is now at a point where she has to go. And if she doesn't go, basically, uh, the Chinese are going to tell the world that they run the U.S. government.
2: Now, you have Mark Esper former defense secretary in the Trump administration on the Taiwan visit. I I think uh,
10: China should not have any say over where American officials travel. I think if the speaker wants to go, she should go. As you noted up front, I just came back from Taipei. I met with all of their leadership to include uh, uh, the president. Uh, They are very focused on China and uh, want to make sure that the United States supports them. And as I said on the road, I believe that our one China policy has outlived its usefulness. I wrote about this in my memoir as well. I think it's important that we have a national dialogue about U.S. policy toward China and Taiwan and make sure that it is credible and durable and principled enough to stand up to some tough decisions we may have to take in the years ahead.
2: So that's Mark Esper, Trump Secretary of Defense. And then uh, one of my least favorite people to listen to on foreign policy, John Bolton. Listen to what John Bolton says.
19: Well, look, she has a large number of Taiwanese Americans in her congressional district. She's been on this issue for 30 years as a defender of Taiwan. So she's serious about it. uh, And more importantly, she's right about it. You know, the whole idea that we're worried about Chinese rhetoric uh, shows how misplaced uh, our policy is. This is a question of how America conducts its own foreign policy. And thank you very much to Xi Jinping. We'll conduct it the way we want to conduct it. Uh, I think this is a a scenario, it it sounds like kind of a a made up drama, but it's something that countries along the Indo-Pacific periphery of China are gonna watch very carefully. Can we send a constitutionally denominated official to China or are we gonna back down because Xi Jinping is shaking his fist. So that's Bolton. Bolton says go. Mark Esper says go.
2: Mike Pompeo. Listen to what he tweeted. At Speaker Pelosi. Nancy, I'll go with you. I'm banned in China, but not freedom-loving Taiwan. See you there. By the way, I want to remind you of the policy that we have had in this country. Policy I have not agreed with. Uh, for the since the '70s is we recognize one China, China, and we, the American government, we recognize Taiwan as a part of mainland china that 's part of the deal that we have made with the Chinese, Nixon Carter, everybody since then, and um, I have really felt bad for the freedom loving people of Taiwan, but that 's the deal we 've made with the Chinese, okay the mainland chinese that 's the deal that 's america 's deal with them. Mike Pompeo says, see you there. He wants to go with her. And then, listen, um, Nancy Pelosi actually got a round of applause at a meeting of the Trump-backed America First Policy Institute. This is the same meeting we talked about yesterday that Trump spoke at. Because that's exactly – so Newt Gingrich declared support for her upcoming trip to Taiwan. I commend Nancy – And she got a thunderous round of applause from all these Trump supporters. So here's what makes me nervous. Here's progressive Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna
4: on CNN. President Biden has said the U.S. military believes
13: a Taiwan visit by the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is, quote, not a good idea right now. You sit on the Armed Services Committee. Should she call off this possible trip to Taiwan?
20: More quickly. No, she should not. She I respect Speaker Pelosi. I mean, we're not going to let the Chinese Communist, Communist Party dictate government where government the Speaker of the House should go. Uh, Taiwan is a economic government. partner with us. That doesn't mean that her going there is somehow not recognizing the one China policy. She should absolutely go. And we need to speak out uh, on human rights issues in China. And we need to speak out about the trade deficit in China. So I fully support her going.
13: But is it worth potentially, God forbid, provoking some sort of military response from
20: the Chinese? They should realize that that would be the worst thing they could do. I mean, they've seen this president our country's resolve uh, in Ukraine uh, with rallying NATO. They've seen the sanctions on Russia. I mean, they would cripple their entire economy. They are so dependent on the United States in terms of uh, the trade that we have. So we shouldn't allow them to bluff and dictate to America, the greatest nation in the world, where our Speaker of the House should travel? I mean, who are they to say that Speaker Pelosi shouldn't go to Taiwan?
2: Here's where I got nervous, and I started to question my own position. Um, whenever the establishment on, in conservative circles and liberal circles has the same position on foreign policy, it's almost always the wrong one. So when I see John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and Newt Gingrich agreeing with Nancy Pelosi and Ro Khanna, I say, uh-oh, this is Ukraine all over again. Um, this is the Iraq War all over again. This is um, – and, and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. Wasn't I the guy for the last five years that's been saying maybe we shouldn't go out of our way to provoke Russia? Maybe we shouldn't go out of our way to provoke North Korea. How can I then stand by and say, let's go forward with this obvious provocation of Beijing, which has a pretty impressive military, and they're, since they are still one of our biggest lenders, they kind of have our chestnuts over the fire. What benefit does the average American gain from these politicians— jockeying among themselves to show who's the most gung-ho about flying to the other side of the world to make flamboyant symbolic gestures that they 100% know will instigate tensions with a major foreign power. So, now I'm very uh I'm very perplexed by this, to be honest. Because if the visit goes forward, China is publicly committed to respond If Pelosi postpones or cancels the visit, it will be seen as a U.S. climb down in the face of Chinese indignation and protest and an affront to our friends in Taiwan. Around the world, the word around the Pacific Rim especially would be the Americans faced with China's firmness backed down. So how do we back down? But if the visit goes forward, China's committed to respond. Either way. Relations between our countries are likely to suffer, perhaps seriously. Now, the responsible thing for Nancy Pelosi to do would have been to actually clear this with the Defense Department or at least the State Department or the Biden administration before she announced this. But if the Chinese act, uh, if they opt for a military response to a to this Pelosi visit. And that's bad news. Um. It's a red flag for me whenever Democrats and Republicans suddenly start sounding completely indistinguishable from one another. So um, tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Um, the U.S. is paying the price for decades of a schizophrenic China policy. They were We had this policy of building up China in the hope and the expectation that Beijing would evolve into a benign and friendly rival and competitor to the United States. Look at everything we did for them. We granted them most favored nation status. Uh, we brought them into the WTO. We buy all sorts of products from them. They are a manufacturing behemoth. And even though China's Navy is less powerful than the U.S. Navy, it's now larger In the number of ships that it deploys. So China not only claims Taiwan and the Taiwan Strait, it claims all sorts of other islands in the South China Sea. Back in 1972, when Nixon and Kissinger in Peking seemed to concede China's claim to Taiwan, Pat Buchanan wrote about this in the book. They were going to leave him in in China because Buchanan said to Nixon and Kissinger, this is a massive betrayal of the Taiwanese people. And now we are seeing that the chickens are coming home to roost. So for the last three decades, the importation of Chinese-made goods by the United States and the transfer of U.S. manufacturing to China to take advantage of the low wages and the no environmental standards that they have over there, they have led to many trillions of dollars in Chinese trade surpluses and the rapid emergence of China as a superpower. Lately, Beijing's military has made all sorts of incursions into Taiwan's airspace, and they've had a number of encounters with the Navy and the Air Force. So meanwhile, Biden has said the U.S. will fight to defend the Philippines, which is also dealing with Chinese aggression. A U.S.-China collision somewhere in the Western Pacific, whether it's the Philippines, whether it's Taiwan, appears pretty inevitable at this point. The only questions are really where and when. What do you think? Should Pelosi go or should she not? If a politician or a pundit um, does this, it has real world implications. Uh, There was an article I read in Responsible Statecraft by uh, Connor Eccles. And he writes uh, basically a great deal about this. He said that... um, This is a needless provocation. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. And uh, Dave DeCamp, who writes for... uh, What did he write for? Independent Speech Forum. He's saying that we should learn the lesson from Ukraine. China's red lines on Taiwan should not be ignored the way the United States ignored Russia's. Can we... Now that we're basically siding with the Ukrainians in this war here, can we handle another potential military conflict in Asia? At what point is the United States military spread too thin? What do you think? 800-848-9222. All right, I've said enough here. Uh, So we're going to give you an opportunity to comment on whatever you like. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to folks in the order in which they have been holding. My friend Neil in Staten Island has been holding the longest. Hello, Neil. Neil fell asleep. All right, uh, leave Neil. Leave Neil to snore. Maybe he'll wake up while we're talking to other people. Let me then say hello to Larry in Brooklyn. Uh, Matt, you'll have to punch him in here because I don't want to disconnect Neil. Hello, Larry.
12: Hi, yeah, Frank. I was originally going to comment on Chris Cuomo, but you changed the topic. So, what would you like me to comment on, China? Larry, it's your dime.
2: Christmas? Sky's the limit. Comment on anything you like.
12: Okay, well, uh, let me comment on both. You know, if you catch Chris Cuomo uh, during the, one of the clips that you, that you played, he said, uh, my therapist. What does this guy think he is? He, I mean, first of all, even in Hollywood, it, it went out of style in the 80s to talk about his therapist. I mean, could you imagine if Chris Wallace would have interviewed Eddie Abid and said, "Oh, well, my therapist? <laughs> he, would his, he, he, he would have got his head on the spot. He would have been talking without his head the rest of the industry. I mean, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with Chris Cuomo. But I want to say about about Nancy Pelosi, she should be free. You know, if you're going to let China tell us where our politicians go, that is exactly what the kind of intimidation that they're looking for. They're looking to see us trembling, and that's when they do their surprise attack. when they catch us scared, because we think that if we are going to – appease, you know, as Churchill said, the crocodile, that's when we don't militarily prepare ourselves because we think the crocodile is being appeased. That's the kind of thing. You don't play around with China. You've got to show strength and nothing but strength.
2: All right, so you say she should go. Oh, 100%. All 800 Oh, see, I disconnected Neil by accident. Neil, if you wake up, call back. 800 uh, 848 Joe is in North Jersey. Hello, Joe.
10: Yes. Hi, Frank. Good evening. Uh, If she was a tourist, like all the Japanese going to Hawaii, taking pictures and just uh, not meeting with political people and uh, offering American aid to that country, Taiwan, I I would let her go. But this is crazy. She is crazy. And the whole Democratic Party is crazy. I'm switching topics now. Uh, Did you have anybody call in about the uh, Kingston, New York?
6: No, I didn't.
10: Uh, Okay, I was there. I went there Monday, because, uh, or Saturday. You told me to call back Monday, of course. So how did it
2: go? Give us your review.
10: Uh, 250 people, maybe the most, uh, set on a corner uh, garden lot. The owner of uh, the the, uh, Trend magazine has a nice uh, garden, and he sat about 50 people, uh, 100-so milling around, standing. Uh, It was very pleasant. Uh, We had five six good speakers an ex-CIA or FBI guy uh Gary Null of course from New York City was there uh Judge Napolitano very good (laughs) very good speeches Uh, a lot of the same topics that you hear on the radio all the time but of course we were there in person and I was very uplifted and uh Uh, You're moving up the rung on my ladder of favorite radio hosts. Well, that's nice of you,
2: Joe. Thank you. Thanks for the review. I'm glad you were out there. I'm hoping they do another one soon that I can attend. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Mike is on the Long Island Expressway. Hello, Mike.
19: Mike hasn't been on the Long Island Expressway in 39 minutes. I'm now on the Alpine Road in Alpine, New Jersey. Excellent. By the way, that's beautiful. You're in New York City, aren't you?
2: When last seen, yes.
19: You got some beautiful uh, lightning going on over New York today. Thank you. Absolutely magnificent. Looking at it over the skyline. Uh, I originally called to talk about uh, utilities and automatic call distribution systems, uh, the press one, press two, press nine things. Um, You know, I've I've been in telecommunications for years, and I made a discovery. The the if you look at a map. That shows how a system operates there's dead ends in there and every time we try to design a system for a company you look at it and you go oh well we'll go back to that you know it's like just something you can't figure out but you say I'll go back to it and then you never do and then we implement it and what happens everybody gets frustrated now You can't call anybody to tell them that you're frustrated by your telephone system because it's part of a vast bureaucracy. Agreed? I
2: mean, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know.
19: I mean, when was the last time you tried calling like a lighting company? And talking to somebody about that you couldn't report an outage at your house because the system didn't know who you were, you couldn't answer all the questions that it wanted, and you just sat there in the dark getting frustrated.
2: Yeah, I don't remember, honestly.
19: That's never happened to you?
2: Not that I can recall. I mean, maybe it has, but I, I, I don't remember. I'll take your word for it, though, that that's the standard.
19: Oh, it's a, I, I've gotten very frustrated with that, and finally it resulted in a phone call to the Public Service Commission, and the Public Service Commission ups, you know, uh, uh, upgraded my complaint. And within about 40 minutes, I got a phone call back from an executive from the utility apologizing for it, addressing my issue, and saying these are things that we're going to put on our list to discuss to correct. And the only way you can get the attention of a large corporation or a utility is by demanding to speak to somebody else. And if they don't do it, you go to a commission that regulates them, and they're actually very receptive. All right. Well, thank you,
2: Mike. Yeah, I I have – you know, I've had a lot of conversations with Ralph Nader about the need for – states and municipalities to set up a citizens utility board that would essentially be a voice for the consumers like they have in Illinois, like they have in Oregon, like they have in uh, San Diego. And uh, Mario Cuomo, to his credit, he actually tried to implement this in New York, but uh, his efforts were stymied and then he was Drummed out of office. His son never seemed to have an effort to doing something about it. But there's really nobody, in, at least in New York, standing up for the ratepayers. That's non governmental, and that's and that's, uh, that's that, that that fights on behalf of what the ratepayers want. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom.
5: Yes, Frank. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say I heard your comments on old timers, and I believe like you were we were talking about that. Exercise and reading to keep the mind alert, uh, body uh, physically fit, actually helps uh, it, uh, Alzheimer's not to come about in an individual. It's a big assist.
2: Well, I, I hope you're right, Tom. I guess we'll see when this uh, when this study is concluded and what the results are. We'll see what happens. Nancy's in Manhattan. Hello, Nancy.
16: Hi, Frank. It's Nancy, aka Diana. Oh. Wow. Hey, <laughs> Frank. I called about something else, but I'll just comment briefly on the Nancy Pelosi trip. Uh, I think it's insane that she didn't clear it with the, as you said, the State Department, the Defense Department. You know, the the, the you know, executive, yeah. you know, Joe Biden's administration. Everything the United States does has relevancy, symbolically, substantively, et cetera. And for her to go in her official capacity and not have cleared it, knowing about the potential sensitivity involved, is ridiculous. And so one solution might be for her to still—because now it's a conundrum, right? If she doesn't go, Mm. it shows weakness. If she does go, China's threatened possible military action. So she could still go but declare— that she is not going in her official capacity. Um, Up till now, she's declined to discuss details, but she said it was important for us to show support for Taiwan. Well, again, that should have been cleared. Um, But she could now declare that she's still going to go, but not in her official capacity. That might sort of quell the...
2: Well, that would be interesting. And, um, uh, you know, Shelley Rigger, who's a political science professor at Davidson College and one of the leading experts on Taiwan she pointed out that the chinese officials they see it through the lens of how their own political system works and what they're seeing is that the us is sending the number 3 in their national hierarchy to taiwan how is this not a statement or an affirmation of taiwanese statehood so you can yes. understand why they
16: uh, why they view it that way but Absolutely. Can I briefly, please? please yes, please? yes, yes. Okay. So I agree with you. I share your sensibilities about almost everything. Uh, Chris Cuomo's insufferable. I, I humility does not run large in the in the Cuomo gene pool, though I think Mario, you know, actually had reason to be, <laughs> you know, less humble than his sons. But um, also with respect to the Tom dreesen interview and the story about Frank Sinatra getting the private Angelo Maggio role from. In From Here to Eternity, I think it was in your um, Johnny Russo interview that he mentioned that Harry Cohn had always had a thing for Ava Gardner, and Ava offered to spend a weekend with him as a quid pro quo for Frank getting that role, and somehow— harry's wife agreed to it or something so maybe you could ask um tom about that yeah
2: that's that's a great idea i do remember johnny saying that you're you're exactly right it's a great point nancy thank you hey we're gonna go live to atlantic city in just a moment and talk to councilman jesse kurtz about what's happening there the good the bad and the ugly we'll explore it straight ahead
1: the other side of midnight with frank morano Other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC report.
4: It blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk They're ready for a fight Gonna
2: see what them Racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in From out of state And the
4: DA can't get No relief Gonna be a rumble On the promenade and the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But
1: maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your
4: makeup on. Fish <laughs> your hair up pretty. Ah,
2: yes. Our guest this morning is a study in rarities. He is an elected Republican in a city that is overwhelmingly Democrat. In an era in which it seems like Republicans and Democrats can't even walk on the same side of the street, he has formed a, a number of coalitions with his Democratic partners in government to actually get things done. Imagine that, in the polarized era that we're living in, Democrats and Republicans working together. and. In an era where the price of everything from the ice cream cone to the uh, gallon of gasoline has skyrocketed, he somehow finds a way to pay the bills for having eight children. I am very, very pleased to welcome uh, Atlantic City City Councilman, the only Republican elected in Atlantic City in the City Council currently, the one and only Councilman Jesse Kurtz. Uh, Jesse, thanks so much for joining us on the radio and being willing to get up early.
14: Hey, good morning. Well, thank goodness I keep finding a lot of change in the in the couch cushions <laughs> to keep paying for stuff. I'm really glad about
2: that. Uh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Hey, it was fun seeing you uh, when I was out in Atlantic City a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, we met for a beer at the uh, Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall, which is a great spot. But, Jesse, a lot of times when uh, people listen to these segments – Sometimes there are people that have never been to Atlantic City because we have listeners all over the country, even in Canada. And sometimes there are people that haven't been there in many years. And they're always a little surprised when I uh, recommend... Establishments outside of the casinos, and that applies to people that do visit Atlantic City regularly as well. Would you tell folks that visit Atlantic City regularly or might be planning a future visit there that by limiting themselves to only the casino establishments, they really are significantly limiting their options, aren't they?
14: Oh, absolutely. And and you know, for the record, there's there's great places in the casino. Sure. Oh, yeah, uh, which are definitely worth worth checking out. But uh, no, I, I would encourage people. Um, whichever casino or just hotel in general where you stay um, take a look on your favorite trip app or just you know look at places that are around Uh, we have not only a lot of good places but they're very unique and it's definitely worth uh, trying out checking out Uh, we have older places that have a lot of character Um, you know I heard you talking earlier about um, some of the celebrities that um, are, we're involved with town, and so you, there's, like, great stories about whether it's the Sinatra era or even going back further, the Prohibition era. And then there's new places, like yeah, Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall is a great example of a, a newer place, which is great to, to have a good time. So, yeah, please uh, uh, get get out there and see the different food and beverage establishments that we have to offer here in Atlantic City.
2: One of the things that I get, one of the questions that I get from people that have not been to Atlantic City in a while I guess this is reinforced by the negative stereotype that has surrounded Atlantic City over the last uh, last few years. Is, the, folks ask me, is it safe? Is it safe to walk around Atlantic City outside of the casinos? What do you think? As somebody that lives there, as somebody that represents the area, is Atlantic City a, a safe place to visit and to hang out if you're walking beyond the casino area?
14: No, absolutely. You know, I, I think... Um... You know, it, it's like anything else you know be aware of your surroundings um, but you know ha- have a plan if, if especially if somebody's not uh, super comfortable a little leery uh, you know look at your look at your area put a plan together about having a few different places to check out and i think once once people kind of venture out of their comfort zone a little bit um, they' a lot of times they, they don't go back um, they they realize wow you know this this neighborhood is fantastic you know whether we're talking about um, some of the places you you, we met up in the the newly developed uh, orange loop area Uh, but yeah there's there's places in all of our different neighborhoods Uh, Gardner's basin is a a cool place Uh, it's a little bit off the casino beaten trail uh, to go check out so I, i would encourage it
2: there was an article in the uh, the Press of Atlantic City a few days ago uh, talking about homelessness in Atlantic City. When we met with Don Guardian, he told us the story, which has been reported elsewhere, of how a homeless person begged him for money and had, Z- had Venmo. She tried, he, he tried to get him to <laughs> give him money on Venmo, the homeless person. I, I did read that the poverty rate in Atlantic City is 35.2%. It's more than triple the national poverty rate. What's going on? Why is poverty such a problem in Atlantic City? And what can be done about it?
14: So I think, you know, Atlantic City, uh, a couple things are going on. Um, One is we've had this practice where places that are, you know, all over South Jersey and beyond um, run into problem people, problems with people, and have for too long sent them to Atlantic City, Um, you know, in addition to having a very nice, uh, you know, not very nice. tremendous infrastructure for tourism. You know a lot of great things to do. Um, you know we also have a heart, and we've developed a network of social services. and I'd argue we have too much of a concentration of those services here instead of it being uh, spread out throughout South Jersey. So I think that that's one problem um, that we we over the years have accumulated all the different, Services So opportunities if you're people.
2: if you're po- if you're impoverished or you're um, dealing with substance abuse or you need any sort of government help or in many instances, charitable help Atlantic City, because it offers all those services, those social services, it's sort of become a magnet for anybody that's having a tough time all over the southern portion of the state.
14: One hundred percent. There was a front page story about homelessness. We may even be referring to the same story. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I think so. So they profiled people and you know, kudos to the reporter for actually doing a deep dive and talking to a few people that were dealing with some tough times. But in, in the cases that were mentioned, they weren't, quote unquote, Atlantic City people. Um, in one instance, it was somebody from a neighboring town who uh, went to jail and then ended up coming to Atlantic City uh, when they were released. And, uh, you know, I think it really shows a failing in uh, the idea that we all have to look out for our brother or sister who are in need. um, And and other folks think that they don't need to take care of people in a tough spot, and they can just kind of absolve their guilt and ship them on a bus to Atlantic City. And and that's really inexcusable, Mm -hmm. unacceptable. Um, We we all have an obligation to to take care of people and take care of people in our area. We can't just, you know, ship them to some— destination and figure that that um, will fix the problem. And in the case of Atlantic City, it it has overwhelmed us over the year to just keep on, especially during COVID, um, to just keep sending people. Uh,
2: Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Talking with Councilman Jesse Kurtz. Uh, Councilman, you're a Republican. I happen to be an independent, but I have long been a believer that cities should move towards nonpartisan elections. I think uh, the old quote from Fiorello LaGuardia that there's no Democrat or Republican way to clean a street certainly rings true in cities like New York and uh, certainly in Atlantic City. I was over the moon when you told me that there uh, is movement towards putting a referendum on the ballot to convert Atlantic City's elections from partisan elections to nonpartisan elections. Give us the lowdown. What exactly is happening with that, and what's been the impetus for this?
9: Sure. So there's
14: a group, um, they call themselves so the Atlantic City Independence Committee, and they were um, hitting the streets with petitions. Uh, they managed to collect over 2,000 signatures that were uh, recently, I think as of like two or three days ago, certified by our municipal clerk. So they uh, they needed Somewhere around 1600 signatures. They got well above that, like four or 500 uh, excess signatures. And so, what that did is it uh, triggered the ordinance to uh, go to our city council meeting yesterday. Now, uh, city council had the opportunity, if we would have passed the ordinance, for it to just take effect and become nonpartisan here in Atlantic City. And that, and that would mean that we would have uh, one election for our local city council and mayor spots in May as opposed to having the June primary and November general election uh, as we currently do. And so a uh, city council declined to pass that. It, it failed. Uh, the vote was three to six, so three in favor, six against. Um, I was one of the three in favor of it. Um, I think when it comes to local politics, it's, it's similar to what, you know, your LaGuardia quote um, alludes to. It's really people over parties. Um, Political parties do have a role when it comes to, I think, uh, offices that are up for the ballot. Because when you're dealing with county, regional, state, national offices, it's very tough to take it on a granular level. And you just think how many people are in a state. You know, it's like it's very hard to like get to know people personally, uh, to get to know them on those type of personal traits. But in local office, especially a ward race. Uh, which is something that I'm familiar with as as a ward councilman. Um, But there's nothing more personal and local than a ward race. And and when it fundamentally – It shouldn't be about the jersey you wear or the label that you have as a party. It needs to be about the issues that you're going to further and champion your character as a person, the type of skill set that you bring to the table if you're an incumbent, uh, what your record is, and not what the president of your party, whether it's the current or former president – uh, has said or not said what right. they've so, done in, in foreign in, policy in atlantic
2: city city council you guys aren't making decisions about the death penalty or abortion or flag burning or gun or you know gun uh, assault weapon bans and things like that
6: correct missile
14: defense systems right. i mean those are not things that we're dealing with in atlantic city
2: um well so what's the status of this is it going to be on the ballot this year
14: Yes, so this is going to uh, the November ballot. The, there will be a question if people, uh, people, namely the voters of Atlantic City, want to change the city charter. So I think you're going to see a lot of uh, campaign and a look at, you know, is this a good idea or not? And I think uh, you know, people like myself have an opportunity to make the case to our neighbors, to the electorate, um, that it really should be people over parties. Uh, when it comes to our local races, our city council and our mayor
2: well that 's certainly uh, very exciting i I have got my fingers fingers crossed yesterday we We discussed the issue of uh, homelessness and this ordinance that um, that the city council took up. Um, what exactly did this uh, homeless ordinance that passed the city council? Uh, yesterday. What exactly does it do in terms of what a lot of people perceive to be a problem of the homeless sleeping on the boardwalk in Atlantic City?
14: Yeah, I mean, homeless, I think everywhere are becoming a a huge problem, especially since COVID. And in Atlantic City, it's uh, the worst that a lot of us can ever recall it being um, not only in the boardwalk, but in the neighborhoods. And so in, in dealing with this issue, trying to figure out right, what, what do we do differently with law enforcement, with social services, et cetera, to, to get a handle on the problem and to get these people help. And it became apparent that the common sense point that you shouldn't be able to sleep on the boardwalk or uh, inside of the pavilions that are attached to the boardwalk or really underneath the pavilion or underneath the boardwalk uh, that that shouldn't be permitted. And again, in my research and talking to people, I, I discovered that that was not stated. So uh, what I did was I sponsored ordinance to uh, make it uh, prohibited to sleep on the boardwalk, in the pavilions next to the boardwalk, and underneath both of those structures. And all of council picked it up as a co-sponsor, mm-hmm. and we passed it unanimously at our meeting yesterday. So that'll be one more tool. It doesn't fix the whole problem. Uh, and I wouldn't suggest to you or your listeners that it does, but it, it's all about giving law enforcement, social services, tools, and trying all the different facets of an issue. And this is this is one of them.
2: The other ordinance, and this is, I guess, something that I didn't fully realize was a problem. The other ordinance that the council passed yesterday deals with uh, all-terrain vehicles and dirt bikes. What was this what was the problem with these vehicles and what exactly did the city council do
20: So we're
14: unfortunately dealing with uh, these packs or groups of ATVs uh, the dirt bikes that they don't have licenses and it's not just that uh, they drive in these packs and they drive incredibly reckless uh, they'll go right through red lights they'll weave in and out of traffic um, there's been a, an additional growth of outdoor dining since Covid. And so if people they'll like buzz folks that are either dining or walking or standing on the sidewalk. And it, it's just a miracle, uh, all those guardian angels out there, I guess, why there haven't been more accidents and injuries in Atlantic City. Uh, and so we we were determined to do something about this, and uh, it's another one of those unanimous measures. Uh, we adopted some rules that allow, uh, the police to confiscate uh, these vehicles when they're found and then to destroy them and in fact uh, your, your town was mentioned uh, the the viral video of the mayor uh, destroying the confiscating confiscated atvs uh, was was one of the things referenced at our meeting and so uh, going forward uh, police whether they engage in um, a pursuit or a trap or the one thing we're as council suggesting is uh, using drone technology to kind of track where these bands of ATVs go, and then when they stop, you know, jump in and seize them in order to you know restore order, restore um, safety to our streets. Uh, we can't have this culture of lawlessness uh, where people again in packs of these ATVs just go around buzzing folks. Sure.
2: Sure. Now, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Councilman Jesse Kurtz. He's a Republican city councilman in Atlantic City, one of the rising stars in the Republican Party, uh, not just in uh, South Jersey, but I would I would say in the whole state. Uh, Jesse, you guys at the City Council honored uh, Bart Blatstein, who's been a guest on this show several times. He's the owner of Showboat. He's uh, launching that uh, water park at the Showboat. He's done a lot of other interesting things when it comes to development in both Atlantic City and Philadelphia. What did you guys honor him for?
14: Uh, We we honored him for bringing that uh, all-white event, the Le Dene en Blanc event, the uh, pop-up party dinner event. Real classy, elegant event. Uh, it was the first year it ever came to Atlantic City, and it was you know largely thanks to his efforts, hmm.
4: uh,
14: pioneering—not uh, so much pioneering, but um, bringing them into town. And we had the the dinner. I, I was able to attend it. My my daughter—it was her ninth birthday, so she was my date for the evening, and we were on the boardwalk. And for people have been on the boardwalk, half of the boardwalk between Showboat. And all the way down past Ocean Resort, had folks dressed up so elegantly, all in white. Um, the scene it was almost a little Cinderella ball, wow. with great music, and food and aesthetics. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And it was the largest uh, Binet in event that they had ever had. So we, we thought it was very important to honor them, obviously honor uh, Barb Blatstein. Um, shout out to uh, Councilman Shabazz. He was the one who uh, sponsored the resolution. We yes. all shared his sentiments. just think it's a fantastic event. And those organizers are looking forward to bringing it back uh, next year. And folks who I talked to at the dinner, they had been to Dine's all around the area and beyond, and they said that the Atlantic city one was was hands down their wow. favorite
2: that sounds uh that sounds magnificent i 'm going to try and make it next year if it does come back councilman it 's always a treat to uh, talk with you i'll look forward to getting together with you in person my next trip down to Atlantic city
14: hey same here. all the best to you and your family have hey, a great day
2: thank you, Councilman Jesse Kurtz. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation you 're welcome to give me a call one eight hundred eight four eight. 9222. That's 1 800 848 9222. Straight ahead.
1: The Other side, at midnight. 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 side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Murano.
4: This is uh, Sunroof,
2: Nikki your Apparently, this is a modern hit. This was selected by Matt Blaze. Not bad. I, I think it's the first time I've heard this song. I can see why people like it. Pretty good. Nice job. Hey, um, those of you that um, that are looking for a way to stay cool with some summery treats, I came across this recipe in the – I think it was the Daily News over the weekend for the, – in the in the Daily News, they call it a Sicilian ice cream sandwich. But in Italy, they call this brioche congelato. And basically, you know, did you ever wonder when you were a kid why an ice cream sandwich isn't like a ham and cheese sandwich? I remember a, a guy I used to know, Mike Steele – um, uh, real name, Mike Norton Francesco, he did a public access show around the same time that I was doing it. And he made a big bit out of eating ice cream sandwiches and taking scoops of ice cream and putting it on bread and then eating the ice cream as if it was a sandwich. And I always wonder, why don't we do that? Well, it turns out in Italy, they do. They just do it with a brioche bun and gelato, which is, which is similar to ice cream. So they give a recipe, and I'm curious if anybody has tried this. If not, I think you should try this. I think we're going to try it, maybe when we're in Cape May next week. they uh, This makes six servings. You take two pints of gelato, whatever flavor you want, pistachio, hazelnut, stracciatella, six brioche buns, three tablespoons of unsalted butter, and then flaky sea salt, then you let Two pints of gelato sit at room temperature to soften slightly. Meantime, you split six brioche buns for toasting. Then you melt one tablespoon of butter in a 12-inch skillet over medium heat. Swirl the pan so the bottom is coated. Add two sets of buns cut side down. And then cook until toasted and golden brown two to three minutes. Then transfer to a cutting board, cut side up, sprinkle with a pinch of flaky sea salt, repeating toasting the remaining buns in two more batches, adding one tablespoon of unsalted butter to the pan before each batch. Let all the toasted buns cool for five minutes. Top each bottom half of the brioche bun with a a third pint of gelato. It's about two scoops press the top buns gently on top to adhere, and then serve immediately. So this is a real ice cream sandwich with bread. Curious if anybody has tried this. Um, I don't remember trying this when I was in Italy. I remember seeing it served, but uh, I was probably consuming so many carbs with all the pasta that I was eating that I did have some gelato while I was out there, which I'm a big fan of, but I probably did it without a bun or anything like that. But this looks really good. Uh, Ultimate Italian treat, creamy gelato on a buttery bun. Uh, This is, uh, the recipe can also be found on thekitchen.com. That's K-I-T-C-H-N dot com. Uh, I'll I'll post it on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash fan. Those of you that are calling, I will get to you. Those of you that are thinking of calling, I want you to answer the question... What is the best film that deals with aliens? Think about it. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: night. I'm Frank Marano. So I am very fond. I'm very interested in the subject of extraterrestrials, UAPs, UFOs, all that stuff. I'm, I'm interested in it all. And whenever there is news on those subjects, I try to bring it to you. And it's interesting... I'm also very interested in casino gambling. When there's casino gambling news, I love to talk about it. When someone visits a casino, I love to ask them about it. What games are you playing? How'd you do? How'd you bet? What was your methodology? Uh, Especially if they're games that I like to play, like craps or baccarat, blackjack, video poker, whatever. And when I can't, this was particularly true during the pandemic. When I couldn't go to casinos and when it seemed like nobody else was going to casinos, you know what I did? I watched film after film about gambling. I watched all sorts of gambling films. I watched gambling pictures. I watched gambling pictures that you've never even heard of. I watched gambling pictures that you have heard of. Um, good films, bad films all had to deal with gambling because it was almost like I was getting a vicarious thrill through watching the the gambling in the films because I couldn't participate in it. So a couple of things occurred to me. Maybe there are people in this audience. That are as interested in aliens as I am. Now we have had almost every prominent UFO expert in the country on this show. We've had almost every prominent alien expert on the in the country. And in other countries as well on this show. A couple of what we haven't had yet. We'll get those. But. Some days, there's just no new news on the UFO front. So what do you do if you're like me, and I assume some of you, and you're jonesing for alien talk? What do you do, especially if it's raining, as it's supposed to be a couple days this week, at least in the New York area? Well, it occurred to me that maybe... Some of you, I know this certainly holds true to me, would like some good recommendations of motion pictures that involve aliens. So I thought I'd ask you the question at 800-848-9222, what is your favorite motion picture involving aliens or extraterrestrials? Now, let's exclude Star Trek. Let's exclude Star Wars because they're just so well-known. Everybody knows about them. And I'm going to say let's also exclude the Alien franchise. Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, uh, Alien Resurrection. Let's just exclude all those. Other than those, if I'm looking for a good Alien film, maybe it's older, maybe it's newer, what do you recommend to people? That's the question.
1: A question. Since before your son burned hot in space, and before your race was born, I have awaited a question.
2: Let's begin with Elaine in Riverdale. Hello, Elaine. Howdy. I'm the Cheesecake Lady. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Elaine. It's great to hear from you.
3: You can have some cheesecake this weekend. It's been proclaimed Junior's Cheesecake Weekend.
2: Excellent. I'll look forward to that.
3: But I'm gonna tell ask you if you remember this phrase. Klaatu Balado
7: Uh
2: absolutely. That is um that is the, the phrase that the alien says when he comes to the White House in uh The Day the Earth Stood Still.
3: The original is the best of all the alien movies. Yeah, you it know it was frightening when he came out in his LeMay suit. And gave warning to the Earthlings what he
2: would do to them. You know, know, that was a great picture, The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, directed by Robert Wise, who also went on to direct the first Star Trek film. I never saw the remake. Uh, I I do want to see it because I'm curious what they did with it. I heard they changed a few things, but uh, that was a, a wonderful, wonderful film. And uh, it says a lot, not just about aliens, but about human psychology in general uh, and the, what we're doing to each other and what the country's doing to each other, what the world's doing to each other. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 9222 if you have a recommendation for an alien picture. Tom is in New Jersey. Hello, Tom.
17: Good morning. Morning, Tom. How I was... do not watch that stuff. Okay.
4: All right. I appreciate okay, your candor. But, uh
17: Somebody woke me up, I don't know what it was, to call you, and that's why I'm here. Great. And I live by myself, so I don't know if if it was an alien, <laughs> but I'm here at my little counter drinking my coffee. All right,
2: well, so, what's on your mind this morning, Tom? What do you want to... I
17: just basically caught you. I caught you on the Atlantic City uh, thing, because I'm going to go uh, this week with my son, and uh, we like going over there. But I just heard from the grapevine that they're going to build three big casinos in New York. And I wonder if that's going to really, like, Lake City went down. Now it seems like it's picking up after COVID. It's starting to pick up down there. And I enjoy going down there because I'm less than an hour away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm kind of frightened a little bit. they're going to suck that downhill again? and And I just want to tell you one more thing. Uh, regarding movies, if you are in Atlantic City and you're a gambler, the two best movies to watch back to back is Tom Cruise in The Color of Money and then Paul Newman in The Hustler. Well,
2: no, you got to watch The Hustler first and then The Color right, of Money. Right,
17: you want it? right, exactly. Yeah.
2: No, uh, those are two great pictures, and uh, uh, that is, uh, those are good recommendations. I'm with that. Uh, that I'm with that completely, uh, 100%. And, um, Two very uh, different—the Color of Money stands on its own. To me, that's a measure of a good sequel, is if you can watch it not having seen the original. But that is one of the better sequels. And I think it's one of the greatest lengths of time that's passed from one picture to the next and, but they're both really well done, very different styles, and uh, I agree with that. 800 And look, uh, to answer your question, Tom, I don't know that you really phrased it as a question, but I don't think those three New York City casinos are going to help Atlantic City. But a lot of the people that I talk to, and we've done whole segments on this, say that this will not hurt as much as people fear. So we'll
6: see. Daniel is in Queens. Hello, Daniel. Hello, good evening, morning. Morning. So the movie suggestions. I thought of one that's good. It's Standalone and it's Depths in the Past. It's um called The Last Starfighter. Yeah, you know,
20: I have heard of
2: that film. I have actually never seen it. Uh, it's been on my list for for decades. Um what makes it so good?
6: It incorporates gaming in a retro way. It's standalone. It's lighthearted enough that I think it's family-friendly, too, the way our generation might define that. And it's got some cool aliens and spaceships and all that jazz, so um, it just pops into my head. And I, I don't think it's got remade or kind of, like, um, sullied in any way by modernity. But, uh, yeah, I'll have to go live. I haven't watched it in a few yeah, decades myself. I, I, you so. know,
2: I didn't realize this. I'm just looking this up now. That was Robert Preston's last film, and I love Robert Preston.
6: Okay, I'm going to go start digging in now because I, I don't even really know at the time. I didn't know about that stuff, so I'm going to kind of go yeah. on IMDb. Uh, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm going to check it out. Uh, thanks, Daniel. That's a good one. All right, we got the You're last star, Starfighter. Yeah, Robert Preston, apparently, he I, I don't know anything about this picture other than that I've heard of it. Um, this is his last theatrical film, and he plays a lovable con man, and it was written with him in mind, and it was a nod to his most famous role of Professor Harold Hill in The Music Man. How about that? Isn't that cool? 800-848-9222. By the way, coming up in about 20 minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Brian Kilmeade, nationally syndicated radio talk show host and a Fox News anchor. Alex Barnard uh, is here.
20: Yes. um, I think my favorite movie uh, with an alien in it is John Carpenter's The Thing.
2: That's good. I've seen that. That is quite good, actually. It's a little scary, too. Pretty scary movie.
20: Yeah, yeah. Um, And I know it's a remake I believe, of a 50s movie. Right, and they, which is also pretty good. I haven't seen the original. I, I definitely need to check that one out. Um, all I know about the original is that it absolutely terrified both my grandmother and my uncle who saw it at the same time. You
2: know, I've seen both, and uh, I actually think that that might be one of the few instances where the remake might have been slightly better than uh, than the original.
20: And that's probably... Part of it is probably due to John Carpenter's score. I would think so. Yeah, you and, know. and
2: Kurt Russell is in that, right? Too. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Kurt, Kurt Russell is
21: just terrific.
2: 800-848-9222, The original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, original Rick.
21: Hey there, Frank. <clears throat> of course, right before you got to me, you were gonna. I was gonna say the original thing, but uh, you know, the original thing. I liked it better than the remake because it was directed by the same director that directed My Girl Friday. And it just flows more like real people talking, real things. It, it you know, the the other one seemed like a nineteen eighties movie. The other one yeah. seemed like you were th- like you were there in the room, but it wasn't a movie. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. More realism to me. Uh, no,
2: i no, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, I um, I I no, I think I understand. I I think I understand where you're uh, where you're coming from. Is the film that you're talking about His Girl Friday?
21: Yes, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, no, that's okay. I just wanted to make sure that I was uh, talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, his girl Friday. um, That's a Cary Grant film, right? That's a right, right. Same
21: director?
2: No, uh, same producer, Howard Hawks. A different director. Not the
21: same director?
2: You sure? I I think so. I'm going to have to check. But um, his girl Friday is really. I mean, it's a um, it's a screwball comedy. That's where they have very rapid fire. Dialogue, and you know, I I never—I love *His Girl Friday* and *Bringing Up Baby* and all those screwball comedies, but I never found the the dialogue in any of those screwball comedies terribly realistic. But you think that. The dialogue—the
21: well, the fact that people are talking to, at the same time of other people—I see, I see. I see. The, the, the
2: ping-pong dialogue, like you and I are yeah, doing yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah.
21: Whereas I these, the it. other ones is like you wait till the other guy finishes, and they, people don't talk. Right, that you're, way. You're, they, you're right. You're other, right. You're you right.
2: Know? You're exactly right. And they do do that in all those screwball comedies, and they do do that in the thing. You're right about uh, about all that. 800-848-9222. Steve in New Jersey, give me a recommendation for an alien film.
12: I got um. They Live... Roddy Roddy Piper, directed by John Carpenter, 1988.
2: Yeah, I, I tell you, we got a very John Carpenter crowd uh, here today. I, you know, I talked about that picture with uh, Matt Blaze recently. Roddy Piper is great in that picture. Why do you think Roddy Piper didn't have more opportunities to do films after that?
12: Um, You, you know, he was always bouncing back and forth out of wrestling. I mm. don't know. If he, um, I, I don't know if he played nice in a political sandbox in Hollywood.
2: I see. And I, I think see. that's part of it. That could be. Yeah, but I could thought
12: be. he did a really good
4: performance oh, in that movie. That's
2: absolutely. That's why I would have thought he would have had his pick of film roles after that. Action films, sci-fi films, comedies. Absolutely. That's a great film. They live. And it's kind of, um, it's a little bit of an allegory on capitalism in the 1980s as well. But you could enjoy it even without the political subtext. 800-848-9222. Ping is in Piscataway. It's that way Hello, Ping.
17: Hey, how's it going? Long time, first time.
2: Ah, welcome the aboard.
17: The for you is Fire in the Sky. Did uh, you ever see that
2: one? I did. I actually saw that twice in theaters, yeah, which is it's rare. It's
17: always creepy. That, that you think it's like a murder mystery. You know, five guys go out drinking in a pickup truck, and one guy doesn't come back with them in the whole town. So
2: that and, is, and they that's interesting, because unlike all of the other films that we've talked about, that's a true story. And that is all about the case, the abduction of of Travis Walton. And he is one of the few uh, people, the few alien guests or UFO-themed guests that I've tried to get on this radio show that I have not had any luck with. Uh, but that is a great picture, and I agree with you. It's very yeah, suspenseful. I didn't
17: know it was based on a true story. I think oh. I, the only one based on a true story I saw was like the Barney and Betty Clark story that had James Little Jones in it.
2: You know, I didn't. I, I'm familiar with the the uh, Barney the story, and Betty huh? Hill story, yeah. um, and we had we had their niece on this show, and she was really interesting. I never saw the film version of that. I have to check yeah. that out.
17: I mean, it's a little slow because it's basically just the the two of them and a psychiatrist doing the hypnosis. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah,
2: no, I'm on. with you on Fire in the Sky. That's a good one. 800-848-9222. Bob is in Middletown. Hello, Bob.
4: Hey Frank, how you doing? Great. Um, I got two movies for you. I'm ready. Uh,
15: one was, uh, I guess they're both in the 50s, but one is um, Forbidden Planet. Oh, classic.
2: And what's the other one?
6: And the other one is called The, red, uh, the Angry Red Planet.
2: Um, I never saw that. I've heard of that.
15: What's that about?
6: Uh, it's a weird movie because a lot
15: of it's shot in red-toned film.
14: Oh. Um
15: uh, but it's, they they get to this mountain in, on the planet, a uh, planet Mars, and there's some there's two kinds of aliens. One's like a giant spider. Um, uh, yeah,
2: I'll I'll put it on my list. Forbidden Planet is a classic. That's Leslie Nielsen in a yeah, serious that's a, role. That's
15: one of the
2: best ones made. Uh, Walter Pidgeon. You know, I'm trying to remember the film, and I that was one of those films that I happened to have the tape of, and I would watch it all the time because I only had twenty thirty tapes when I was a child, so I'd watch them all over and over again. I remember the film. I remember Walter Pigeon. I remember Leslie Nielsen. I remember Robbie the robot, who's great. I'm
19: Connie trying, Francis.
2: Yeah, I, I remember Connie Francis. I'm trying to remember.
15: Were there aliens in that film? Yeah, there was that. Um, it's like a, a, an alien that it's uh, it's through his uh, Walter Pigeon's imagination. I
2: see. I got you. Okay, I do remember. That's why it's it's a little it's a little bit of an unconventional. Alien story, that's for sure. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 Merck is in the car. Hello, Merck.
5: How you doing, Frank? I like Alien Nation with James Conn, where he's the uh, cop in LA. A lot of aliens are on the planet. The first one becomes becomes a cop in LA and it becomes his partner. His partner's name is like San Francisco. Uh, it's it's a great movie great movie you, you know We're that is
2: that is a great picture and then yeah. um did you watch the tv series that was launched after that
17: i never i never saw the tv series i only saw the movie and i love the movie with the blue liquid
2: me too me too and i i, I, I enjoyed the series too uh, that is uh very good and it's kind of it is science fiction but it's also kind of like a buddy cop film uh, you know right.
5: c- yes yes yeah. he like gets used at first he does not like the aliens the aliens they call them slags like that's like a derogatory name for him and then he becomes like you know tight with him
2: yeah no that's a great picture and um uh that's really well done uh that's uh i i agree with you and you know if, for people that are looking for films to watch in the aftermath of james Con's passing that's certainly as good as any paul is on staten island hello paul
12: Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm great. Uh I got one with a good name. Great name. What's the it? movie Paul. You remember Paul with the little alien?
2: I don't. is that is that um what tell me about that
12: one. He's it's it's more it's comedic. He's, oh wait, wait, is that where uh, Seth little...
2: Rogen play is the voice of the alien and he smokes pot and stuff?
12: I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool yeah. I see
2: I've it, seen that. That was funny actually. Exactly. That's um. Yeah. I've forgotten yeah, the title it with funny. that. That's with uh, Kristen Wiig, also, right? Yes. Yeah, that's yes. good. Paul, am I going to see you uh, Saturday at the uh, Ferry Hawks game?
12: Oh, uh, Saturday! If I'm not working, yeah, I was thinking of going. All if right, okay. I don't have work, 100%. I'll one hundred percent.
2: I hope to. Hopefully, I'll see you there, Paul. Thanks. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Making a list of alien pictures that you can watch when it's raining or when there's not alien news on the radio. So far, we've got the day the We've got a good list here. I'd love to do a film festival or something. you got an and, alien movie?
17: I'll give you one. Let's hear it. Close Encounters of the Third Kind.
2: You know, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one, and um, a lot of people believe that's a true story as well. You know who was originally um, offered the Richard Dreyfus role in that film was uh, Jack Nicholson.
7: Oh, that would have been interesting.
2: Yeah, but he didn't do it because he said the special effects were the real star. But uh, that's a good one. And again, uh, that is a picture that a lot of people believe is a true story. I think when I spoke with Bill Burns on this show, he was one of the people that offered some evidence that it was a a true story. Maddie is in Rockaway. Hello, Maddie.
17: Hey, what's up, Frank? You tell me. Um, I got a species, 1995. That uh... is
2: very scary. That's a good one.
17: Yeah, I saw Sheepshead Bay in in 1995.
2: I like that. It's also kind of sexy. And I was, you know, a younger guy at the time. Seeing a film like that, it's quite erotic. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. 800-848-9222. Ina is in Manhattan. Hello, Ina.
7: Hello, Frank. Yes. Um, The aliens
2: are coming. The aliens are coming. What is that?
7: That's a movie.
2: No, I, so tell me about it. I'm not familiar with it.
7: I don't even remember it, but but uh, as I but you have no problem recommending, huh?
2: No, 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 nothing. Go ahead. What did you say?
7: Yeah, I I talked to you before one time a long time ago about aliens. I I come like in contact with aliens on the plane. Right, you mentioned 20. that. So, yes, and it was a it was for real. I took, took out my camera to snap them and they, and they liked talking to me and said, hey, don't even try it. And uh, my camera stuck for three days. When I reached where I was going, it was overseas. Um, the camera stuck for three days. It wouldn't work. And um, and I think they were like guiding the plane. You know, the play- when I reached in the sky, there was a big... Building like a big wall building. I don't know if it's the, the way they live. It didn't have no windows nor anything And if there wasn't on the side they the plane would have gone right into it and then I was more, um, more You know like in first class behind the cabin where the, where the um Pilots are and I'm at the window so they were flying alongside with the with the um With the pilots at the engine. So I saw them clearly. They were cone heads with two nuts at the side, ball heads, big blue pretty eyes, skinny arms. They only have four fingers.
6: Only four?
7: Like the four four fingers. The thumb was wide away, like, like the monkey, like a monkey climbed the trees and stuff. And, um, and their the suit was was double-breasted, and up to the neck with gold buttons across and stuff. And they have no, the suit have no sleeves; they have skinny arms. But they were they were friendly. I think you know. I don't think they're going to hurt us.
2: But they didn't let you I take think. the photo, though. No.
7: Okay, well, I mean, so they they weren't that
2: friendly, then, if that's okay. Ina, that's interesting. Um, we'll call again, and we'll have a, a lengthier conversation about this. That is interesting. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's a lot of detail there. That's pretty good. I like that. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman.
1: Hey, Frank. Hey. Okay,
12: I'm holding it in my hand Now, this might be, it is an alien movie, um, Planet of the Apes.
2: Uh I would think that definitely fits the bill, especially the, the original. That's a very good one. I like yeah, that one. No, no,
6: that's the one I got in my hand. There there is no other. <laughs> and uh yeah, it's a good question. Who's the alien exactly. on that movie? Exactly. Uh
2: don't give away the <laughs> ending if people haven't seen it though. Uh by the way, Christian, who works here, who runs our locally local board on uh, WABC, he submitted uh, a pretty good one. He characterized it as decent, which I think is an accurate description. Signs. That's very good. You know what I also enjoyed? And now that my head is in a more modern um, place, I'm I'm thinking of this. District 9. That's a good picture. Really well done. District 9. 800-848. I was
17: thinking of Cloverfield.
2: I never saw that. Was that good? It's okay. It's one of those point of view, like it's real, like on video. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. so it's a little shaky the whole oh, time. I don't like that. I saw the the Blair Witch project in theaters. I'm yeah. still dizzy. It's it's came out right after that. Yeah, okay. Fine. I'm not watching that. I'm For, not watching
9: Frank, that. Frank, how did no one say the most obvious one, Independence Day? Yeah,
2: that's, that's a good like one. That's like
9: my favorite one. That's a good one. Down. Hey,
2: did you see the Independence Day sequel? No, I didn't. You didn't I don't think anybody saw it. It's got very lackluster reviews, but uh, that's that's a that's a good one. Independence Day is a classic. The original, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll go to a couple more, and then we'll go to Brian Kilmeade. We'll see if he has a favorite alien movie. Felix is in Astoria. Hello, Felix.
8: Good morning,
12: Frank. Morning. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think it was around nineteen fifty six. Uh,
2: I I think I, I I the no there were two and they were both very good. I love that picture. I actually love both. I think they're both great.
14: No, the great show. The beat. original was with uh, Kevin McCarthy.
2: Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I remember it absolutely. That's a good one. Uh, Chris is in Mount Vernon. What do you have for us?
12: Hey, uh, there's a movie called uh, Black, I think it's Blackburn or Brightburn. I, I, I can't remember which, but I'm pretty sure it's Blackburn. And it's uh, it's like um, it's like Superman, but if Superman was was evil instead of a good guy like he is. You know, I've never the exact seen that story. It's the same exact story like Superman. Like he lands, he comes in a ship, you know, an asteroid. Like he lands on a farm and he becomes the child of 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 a uh, you know of, of two people that couldn't have kids. Same thing, like exact same thing as Superman, except he's he's bad. He's not. He's oh, not a cool. Good guy. He's like now,
2: you know, I First of all, I just looked this up. The film is called Brightburn. Brightburn.
12: Brightburn thank you. Awesome.
2: I I have never heard of this, and this looks great. And this is it's worth really seeing.
19: Good.
2: This yeah, is worth seeing. Really I'll good, check it out. Crazy. See? This, in my view, this last 15 minutes have already paid dividends because I got a, a solid recommendation here. Uh, we'll do one more here. And then uh, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you after Brian Kilmeade. Tommy is on Staten Island. Hello, Tommy.
17: Hey, good,
12: good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, Chuck Carpenter's ghost for bars. Ghosts of
2: Boss. Ghosts? On Mars or of Mars?
12: No, Ghosts of Mars. Ghosts of Mars. You know,
2: I've never heard of that one either.
17: Ghosts of Mars. No, that's it called? Jason, Jason Statement, in it? Um, Ice Cube, hmm. is in it? Uh, can I say one more thing, Frank?
2: Yeah, sure. Get back to work.
17: Hey, Frank, get back. Uh, Frank. Hey, Paul, get back to work.
2: I like it. Ghosts <laughs> of Mars, putting it on the list. Um, All right. Well, that's pretty good. Hey, a bunch of people are also emailing me films here. I tell you what, if you um, email me films that are not on the list, you can email me frank.morano at wabcradio.com. If you email me films that are not on the list, I'll post them in the Facebook group at some point today. I got a busy day today, so I might not get to it till tomorrow, but I will post it. I got a, a bunch of running around to do. Uh, Brian Kilmeade joins us in a moment, but first we're going to give one of you an opportunity to win $1,000. Seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We'll play the $1,000 minute, and if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, you will be the proud recipient of $1,000. Better than the Mega Millions because there's less money to pay in taxes.
1: Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
4: Without further ado, let's
2: try to give away $1,000. It is time for...
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano.
2: All right, the rules are quite simple. Ten trivia questions in 60 seconds. Simple as that. And let's meet today's contestant, David in Queens. Hello, David. Yes. All right. right, Thanks. David, you ready to go?
4: Sure. Okay.
2: What whole number comes after one? Two. Who is usually credited as the man who invented the light bulb? Edison. Which country currently has the world's largest population? China. What state did Joe Biden represent in the U.S. Senate? Delaware. What comic director made the films Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, and the Producers? Mel Brooks. What New York baseball team did the New York Mets play and beat last night? Yankees. Which toys have been marketed with the phrase robots in disguise? Transformers. Who wrote Don Quixote?
4: Uh, I know this. Uh,
7: shoot, uh, hold just a second.
6: Uh, I. I all right. We're out of
2: time. You did very well, though. Um, you got seven right. Uh, the author of Don Quixote was Cervantes. Cervantes. Oh, yeah. Do we give anything for seven right? No, we don't. Okay. All right. We'll give you a, a, a other side of midnight t-shirt or hat, David. Great job. You were on a great pace. You were doing really well. I'm going to put you on hold, and uh, Kenneth will take your information. I think you did uh, almost as well as Brian Kilmeade would have done under similar circumstances. He is, of course, a New York Times best-selling author, co-host of Fox & Friends and a nationally syndicated radio talk show host Brian, good morning. thanks so much for joining me as always.
9: hey Frank, thanks for the invitation
2: hey uh also thanks for that shout out that you gave me in your New York minute on Friday. That was very nice of you, and I know you got a lot of yeah. listeners in the middle of the day that might not hear uh, hear our show in the wee hours in the morning, so it was very kind. appreciated that
9: uh, no problem
2: um. You were in Georgia yesterday. You got to interview probably the most talked-about U.S. Senate candidate in the whole country right now, Herschel Walker. How did it go? What are your uh, impressions of how that race is going to turn out?
9: Uh, I have – you know, I spent a day with him. First, uh, we went to his house, did a one-on-one feature, and then we worked out. He doesn't use weights. Uh, We went for a run. Uh you know you got to see his whole setup. I mean he's lived in the same house a lot. First off the big the big thing was everyone says he lives in Dallas. Well he has a house in Dallas, but he's had this house for over 20 years in Buckhead. And where by the way where there's a huge crime problem. It's in a it's in a steamed area. It's almost like it, uh, the forest hills of Queens. Mm. Uh so they they want their own police force. So he's right in the middle of a hot issue in Atlanta. And then yesterday is he has uh, different themes every week. So yesterday was his law enforcement week. So I got a chance to watch him speak, Stacey Abrams speak before him, to all the sheriffs in and around Gainesville, Georgia, and to hear his message, see him speak. You know, it's not easy. Speak without any notes. Talk about the law enforcement issues and what he would do. Stacey Abrams is very eloquent, but she does not like law enforcement. And that's obviously a gubernatorial candidate. Uh, the um, uh, Senator Warnock's been invisible in the in the state so far. He says he's busy in Washington. That's true. So now, uh, while we were doing the live interview, a half hour before we went on the air, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution came out with their latest poll, mm-hmm. and uh, Walker's within the margin of error. And look at the fact that they already spent twenty million to defame them, to attack them, Fairly, you know, whether you like it or not, the t- typical attack ads. If you and I ran, they'll be mm-hmm. attacking us. Typical and he's only he's within the margin of error, they're really optimistic.
2: So that I saw that Atlanta Journal-Constitution Journal poll, and you have Kemp, the governor there, the Republican governor, holding a slight lead over Stacey Abrams, who's also been similarly built up as sort of a national media darling. And Warnock and Walker are in a, a statistical dead heat at this point. Now, it, it does look, based on this poll, like Kemp is... Polling ahead of where Walker is now Walker's been criticized for a lot of incidents in his past and how he's handled certain questions on the campaign trail. Is this an indication that maybe the Republicans might have done better by choosing a less controversial candidate for the Senate seat there?
9: I'm not sure. Um, I mean, they, get the, they had a, a Navy SEAL in the race and some other people. Doug Collins had the biggest name. He should have been the pick over Kelly Leffler, who was a terrible candidate. Might be a great person, uh, but just was awful. Uh, she could self finance, so Mitch McConnell pushed yeah. her. Huge mistake. So what happens is you're referring to a couple of things. His statements on climate change, uh, where he said, what's the good of us focusing on it, basically, if China is not going to clean up their environment, but he said it in an awkward way. And then, number two, there was revelations of three kids that he had with separate women that he has not talked about. 2018, he filled out an application to join uh, the Trump administration on their fitness council. It was all there, but he did not talk about it publicly. And um, He also claimed couple, to but we have do, been like, an FBI agent recently. Yeah. Yeah, well, he does work with the FBI. He says he never said he was in the FBI, but he does work with them. I did meet somebody yesterday that says he's been in our academy six or seven times. So he also has these uh, cards, and I met the sheriffs yesterday, that does say, like Shaq has. He's done so many things with the local sheriffs and local uh, precincts out here. They've given him stuff that says, uh, uh, you know, deputy sheriff and this and that, and he's been doing it since he was a player. In 1984, I think probably 84, he's been doing since he's been in college, just going to these academies and speaking and doing things for law enforcement. Whether it's fundraisers, so they gave him one of these cards. They're all voting for him. The sheriffs are voting for him. The Sheriff families are voting for him. Law enforcement's voting for him. They're not voting for Warnock. He's already called them thugs. He says you can't serve in the military uh, as well as serve God, which was an unbelievable statement. He got away with. Um, so, so it's going to be interesting. I'm, you know, I think that you'll see a lot of, I'm going to play the whole unedited interview hmm. on the radio show. I'm going to give you two parts on Monday and Fox and friends, and I'll give you some, and then they'll have more of that on one nation on Saturday, not this Saturday, Saturday after. So he takes on a lot of uh, the issues and he's got about a hundred days. I just, I, my gut is, I, my gut is after meeting with Yunkin, he's running my gut feeling Wait, is With Glenn
2: Youngkin for president?
9: Yes, I believe he's going to be run for president. Uh, and I believe after spending a day and a half with Herschel, I do believe not only I think he's not only not afraid to debate, he's already going through debate prep. So that's another big story. Number 2 is I think he's got everything in place to win. So, I don't know if you save your tapes, Frank. But we oh, can yeah. play this back on uh, uh, July 28th. I, I, Even though he's down to the margin of error, I, I do believe he's going to win. Uh,
2: and those are some uh, some bold claims. Nobody can say that uh, that you're difficult to pin down. Uh, but that'll be interesting. <laughs> so people can listen to that whole interview on the radio today with Herschel Walker, right?
9: No, no. I got to air it on uh, TV first. Oh, they okay. paid for All it. Right. All right. But All I'm right. going to get it on uh, hold next week. The only place you'll hear it unedited. Is on on the
2: radio. Great. Okay. Well, that'll be uh, that'll be something worth uh, worth looking forward to, and uh, and the uh, very uh, interesting claim that uh, that Youngkin will be in it to win it on the national scene. So, um, my concern with you, Brian, is that you don't have enough to do, right? So you're <laughs> you're on television three hours a day. You're on during the week. You're on radio three hours a day during the week. You're on um uh, television on the weekend. You're doing guest appearances on the radio. You're writing books, you're doing a live tour, you're taking care of a family and which now includes a dog. And so of course, one of the things I've neglected to mention is this series of specials that you've been doing for Fox Nation. And I got to say I've seen the most recent one advertised and it explores of all people. You've explored presidents, uh pirates, uh, all spies, all sorts of folks. You are going to be having a look at the life and times of Alec Baldwin. Now, why are you focusing on Alec Baldwin here?
9: Well, they just say who is, and they just look at. It. It's got this who is series. We did Zelensky, did Amber Heard. Um, you know, to, they'll pick out people uh, in the news, and we'll just focus on them. And then obviously Alec Baldwin had stopped and started a couple of times, but now we're ready to go. The Massapequa guy whose dad was my summer rec- recreation supervisor, greatest guy. I know Billy, uh is a great guy, as well as Steven. I got to know Danny of late. I never really got to know Alec. I've only talked to him a couple of times. I don't think he likes me. <laughs> I'm pretty convinced he doesn't. Uh but uh, I was able to just to look at this guy's incredible career. The guy can act. Oh. I mean I remember absolutely. Yeah, the guy can act. I, I remember his dad is like this rough-and-tumble football coach. He looks like he could be cast for the role. And he also was the rifle team coach, which, in my personal opinion, is the reason how he got cancer, because they had all that asbestos downstairs in Massapequa oh, High School. Interesting. Um, that's never been proven, nor uh, it's up to the family to look into it. But regardless... So he said, I have an old- I did not know there was an older son, older than Danny, personally. And he said, well, I got this son. He's an actor. And he was on this ser- uh, soap opera called The Doctors. And my wife went to Massacre High School, too. And she, she he was, he was uh, Mr. Baldwin was her social studies teacher. And he would just shut down the whole class and said, my son's on The Soap Opera, rolling a TV. You guys remember that. We had to do that. And then we would, uh, and they would, the whole class would watch The Doctors. Uh, Because he was just so amazing, and and he was so into it. He used to go in when the son was auditioning, going to acting classes. So I I saw it from the beginning. Um, So um, I definitely have an affinity for a Massapequa guy that's incredibly talented but also gets in his own way an unbelievably amount. And, you know, he does it. Every time he gets forward, the the tape will come out about his daughter. He'll uh, shoot somebody on a set and they die. He'll blow up at 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 some type of – Another Photographer, pedestrian yeah. on the side of the road because of a parking spot. Right. So I mean, and we see him threaten a president. So we just thought it'd be an interesting thing to to do a feature on, also on Fox Nation. I did the history of oil, history of law enforcement, history of Hollywood, and the history of the aircraft carrier. That's on what made America great. I um, mean, those ones I'm actually traveling to uh, onto the scene. Uh, these ones we just we did a lot of this, in just in research and talking to experts.
2: Well, that's pretty interesting. Alec Baldwin, uh, love him or hate him. And there's certainly no denying his talent. But uh, he's certainly an interesting guy. And I always get the sense that he's sort of a troubled guy, which is why he constantly flies off the handle with these anger management issues. But that'll certainly be something worth uh, worth checking out. In Georgia, oh, is it true that everything is named Peachtree? They have 20, 30 streets all named Peachtree. Was that your experience?
9: I, I, I did see it a lot. I, I say one other thing is, since I was traveling there, I didn't want I, I didn't um, want to miss the TV show. I sadly I had to miss the radio show yesterday, but I, in the audience in Gainesville at this cafe, Long Street Cafe, and I think it was a Peachtree Street, two blocks away, for the record, uh, up come two Massapequa uh, transplants who graduated in the '60s and decided to retire in Florida, hated Florida, and moved to Georgia. And I look over, and there's two Massapequa, 70-plus-year-olds retirees who said I went to Massapequa High School. And uh, and you would, uh, Jerry Seinfeld was a basically a freshman when they were seniors. <laughs> you know, Jerry Seinfeld's like around 65, too, believe it or not. So I just thought there, wherever you go, there is a New Yorker that's around. That's right. You can't
5: outrun
2: Long Island. That's it. It gets you every <laughs> time. That's for sure. Hey, um... I got to get your take on this, this controversy over Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan. Uh, The Biden administration apparently doesn't want her to go. They say she never cleared this with the Defense Department, the State Department. The Chinese are saying very publicly that there's going to be very significant repercussions if she visits Taiwan. You've been pretty bold in saying that um, Nancy Pelosi should go forward with this trip. Tell us why.
9: There is no question she should go forward. Any co- no country should dictate what our lawmakers should be able to do. I mean, we have, we have lawmakers going into the war zone in Ukraine. I'm sure Russia's not happy about that. Would that have stopped them? I'm sure people aren't happy, and they clearly weren't happy the president went to Saudi Arabia, but he thought that was his agenda. He didn't stop them. So if other people are upset, listen, no, the, the president who got elected said he's going there. Uh, they didn't like that Donald Trump's first trip was to Saudi Arabia. Did it stop them? So now the Speaker of the House, for some reason, I don't think it's a bad idea, goes to Taiwan and say, "Hey, listen, we know you're under threat. We got your back. What do you need?" So she's going to go, and China goes uh, crazy, and now the Pentagon says, "Yeah, maybe it's not a good idea." And the president says the Pentagon doesn't think it's a good idea, indicating he's telling the Speaker to back off. Who is China to tell us we can't go visit an ally? who, by the way, is under threat from China, who is torturing Muslim Uyghurs, and yet we're still buying their, the apparel from Nike and everything else uh, from this slave labor. Nobody really at the NBA, well, we're not going to worry about that. But wait a second, China's upset us of visiting an ally in the region. We shouldn't do it. This is an embarrassment. The speaker, I am thoroughly in the speaker's court. She's into, She's actually uh, reached out to Michael McCall. And he can't make it, a Republican congressman. they got to find another Republican to go. Tom Cotton has volunteered. Go. And we got to get them the defensive weapons to defend themselves. We can't let China take over the world. What what don't people understand about that? Do we want to be the generation that acquiesced, that allowed China to get so big that we couldn't stop them? Now we're going to show all our allies that we're so weak if China objects we back off, which means how does Japan, South Korea, Australia, India feel should China get their beer muscles again? Come on guys, if the speaker wants to go let her go. The woman visited Syria right before the uh right before the civil war. George Bush didn't like that. Sure certainly her her uh, security didn't love it, but she did it anyway. Come on. I mean, she if she backs off, we look absolutely terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that anyone disagrees. Uh, isn't
2: the visit to Taiwan a little bit of a different situation than a visit to Saudi Arabia, though? whether it's Trump or Biden doing the visit? Because nobody's really questioning Saudi Arabia's autonomy, but the United States official policy, going back to uh, Nixon and going back to Carter reiterating it, has been that we recognize one China, and that's mainland China.
9: So we can't go. No, I, I, I'm just. Uh, uh, I'm, well, I'm just saying. That, I mean, I'm just saying that that's an example of uh, point taken. It's an example though for me of a foreign policy that might not be the most popular, yeah. but you're going to do it. You know, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, the lawmakers are going. A lot of people. I'm listening to Tucker Carlson last night. Can't believe we will give one dollar to the Ukraine. Uh, and guess what? Uh, Blumenthal and uh, Lindsey Graham are all over there. So I mean, you don't hear them. You don't hear these threats. Well, if Russia said Lindsey Graham and uh, Senator Blumenthal don't go to Ukraine, we'd go, oh, yeah, screw you. But with China, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm a little worried. Worried? What are they going to do? They're going to shoot the plane out of the sky? So Do they have that little fear from us? And my feeling is this. No one's changing the status. Would you say, hey, do me a favor? It's a problem if you invade them and wipe out a democracy in the area. Newt Gingrich famously won 20 years ago. Uh, and, you know, he actually took some Democrats with him. We're going to do what we want to do.
2: You uh, you mentioned the Ukraine situation. If people just tuning in, we're talking with Brian Kilmeade. You could see him on Fox & Friends uh, at 6 o'clock Eastern and then uh, hear him on WABC beginning at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern. But he's heard all all over the country, one of the most listened to radio talk shows in the whole country. You mentioned the Ukraine situation. Apparently, the U.S. is now planning to provide $100 million to train Ukrainian pilots. At what point, uh, you know, I have a Tucker Carlson on one arm and uh, on one shoulder and I have a Brian Kilmeade on the other whispering as I evaluate foreign policy decisions as a, at what point is enough enough in terms of money? Are we expected as a country to keep borrowing money and going further into debt to help the Ukrainians? At, at what, is there any point at which we should say as a country we've invested enough? At some point you're on your own.
9: Well, I think it's going to be a, that's a fair question and I think within the, you know it's not going to go on forever. Uh, it can't for either side. Uh which is sta scary if you're a Russian because it's supposed to be a superpower and they can't even fight their neighbor affordably. They're begging people. They're begging people to fight. Uh they're afraid to start a draft. They would look have a massive rebellion. They're hiding the number of casualties. But what I would like to do is I would like uh I would like some extreme Follow up with the money and weapons we're giving them. There's got to be an audit system in place for us to to get eyes on this material as it lands in Poland, most of it, as it moves through the country. We have NATO forces uh, undercover uh, in that country. There's got to be a way to follow up. But we don't give them one more thing. Because obviously there's spies within the Ukrainian government. Russians have planted themselves inside the country. So we got to make sure that this this uh, it's not enough to write a check and drop off arms in a neighboring, na- uh, friendly nation. So I'm for that. But it- uh, did we lose you
2: there, Brian? No, no okay, you got no, me. You.
9: Okay, you, no, you got me. That's that's gotcha. uh, yeah. That, was-
2: see, that's a Russian interference or Chinese interference.
9: I think it's both. I'm going to accuse both of them. Uh, let, uh, but, I, but I would just I would obviously say follow up, but we need we need for Ukraine to be successful here. And I think there's signs. Keep your eye on Kyrgyzstan. There's a major movement to take that city back.
2: Uh, lastly, Brian, uh, so we'll look forward to hearing the uh, interview with Herschel Walker on radio next week. Radio-wise, what, what do you have in store for us today?
9: I knew you'd ask. Uh, Here we go. Uh, We're going to have Mark Thiessen uh, to bring us inside this new cave from Joe Manchin, first-time cave. Uh, I'm reading the details in the Wall Street Journal right now. Uh, Karl Rove is going to be with us. He's going to handicap the Senate race, Uh, Senator Joni Ernst. uh, We have them already, and I'm definitely going to look at this China situation and the president's phone call with Chinese President Xi. He would not commit to bringing up fentanyl with the Chinese president, but he will bring up climate change. I'm astounded by this. I mean, the weakness is incredible. And if anyone's around, Frank, and I'm going to try to drag you out if it works for your schedule. I know it's a weekend. I'm going to be in Newark, New Jersey. I'm just warning everybody. Um, I know that August 27th, summer, right? Yeah, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. So it's going to be we're taking back America's history, a thousand people at a time. And it's going to be a great night with a lot of surprises. That'll be, uh, it'll start around 7 o'clock. Just go to com. All
2: right, com. We'll be watching you on TV and uh, listening to you on radio. It's always a treat. Thanks, Brian. Go get it, Frank. Thank you. You have 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
4: The Sun goes down you might need a place to call your own. the
2: other side of midnight by Stevie G and the Starlighters uh, it's now your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds all you have to do is dial 800-848-9222. time four
1: the other side of midnight
13: this is 15 seconds of faith Mike in New Jersey Frank, trading Victor boot for two minor leaguers
10: sounds like a bad deal to me. I'm glad President Biden isn't the Yankees' GM.
2: Peter in Pennsylvania.
14: Frank, I'm surprised that nobody mentioned E.T. Oh, come on. You know, great alien movie.
2: Eddie in Manhattan.
13: The greatest alien movie is called Invaders from Mars from 1953. Only go with that, not with the remake. Mike in the Poconos.
19: Top of the morning, Frank. Always a good show.
13: Uh, I mentioned on
19: one of your previous shows, I was an extra in a couple movies. 20 years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Ray Liotta and Paul Savino, class act. So rest in peace. And even Tony Dow just passed
8: away. And let's go, Mets.
2: Neil on Staten Island.
8: The best line you had in the last 10 years was that Cuomo was reading dramatically like it was reading the town board. I was dying from laughter.
19: Ray in New Jersey.
12: Frank, how do you not
2: know your debit card number? Felix Unger knew his serial number on his TV. We'll we'll, uh, let it rest there. Hey, be back tomorrow with Ask Frank Anything. Come armed with some good questions. Frank Marano, good day.
20: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition.